might have time this weekend to work on a new intro. We'll see what happens. But my Saturday and Sunday are pretty devoid of activity. Um, and I need to start doing projects, so I guess that'll be a good project. Give you something to do. Yeah. So this is the new Utah podcast. This may be the last of the old intros. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris. One of four awesome. I'm Jessica. Jeremy. Bree. Brio was like sitting back, munching on popcorn, like, oh shit, it's getting to me a lot faster than normal. Well, nobody said anything else. Well, that's all we needed. We are pretty awesome. Episode 193. Yeah, 190. Oh, okay. I'm going to make sure I, when I type, when I save the file wrong before we start, so I have the name from my de facto starter files, um, if I save it wrong, I often fuck it up all the way through the process and have to go fix it the next oh, day no. in a hurry. So I try not to fuck it up. So, um, so yes, episode 193. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, the promised um, the promised snowmageddon has occurred in Utah, for those of you that don't live here. So I would say half a dozen times maybe over the last couple of years, we've had like winter storm warnings and like massive travel Fault advisories. Starts. and. Nothing. None of them came to fruition. Like most of them, especially with the wind, like high wind days, just fucking blew right past us. They dumped an inch to a snow, and that was it. There was no big deal. Yesterday, though, <laughs> that was, and I was like, I was actually thinking on Sunday when the Super Bowl was going on. I'm like, yeah, it's stormy. I'm like, but it is so windy. Yeah. And the last few times, it's been this windy. It just, blows right, it just blows right past us. Like, it's a crazy storm for a few hours overnight, but then it's just gone the next day. Not what happened, though. Uh, Sunday night into Monday, we had eight inches at 5 a.m. on Monday morning in our driveway. Not drifted yet. And then uh, we got, we had, in the non-drifted areas, we had at least 12 inches. Yesterday. We had between six and eight in the non-drifts, and the drifted areas, who knows? Yeah, so I did notice this morning, like when we were leaving to go to the gym this morning, we didn't have any snow on half of our roof at all. Because of the wind. Just yeah. blew it off. And then the other half is like a giant drift up against the side of the house. <laughs> so they closed uh, Jordan School District, so... They closed most of them. Yeah, they closed Alpine also. They never, the whole time that my kids ever went to school, ever closed their schools, they closed both of the schools my girls attended. And it was last year, just about this time, when they had the last snow day and closed the schools. So this is two years in a row. Like they, when was when we, I know last year we talked about this, and the last one before that was like twenty five years ago. Yeah. So now we've had two in two consecutive years. But the weird thing about yesterday's was that it snowed more in the valley than it did up in the mountains. Yeah, it didn't snow in the mountains already hardly at all, which is weird because that doesn't happen very often. But it snowed pretty much all day. It like. Didn't yeah, really all night stop. and all day. Like it snowed way overnight, uh, and record-setting snow in the valley. So the airport had eight and a half inches yesterday, I think, which was a record uh, according to uh, the NOAA. I think is the group that. Which, for those of you not from Utah, eight inches is not that big of a deal. However, all at one time, so well, we get eight we inches get, in the valley in one. We got a ton of snow all, all winter long, but to have that much at one time, that's a lot. Yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. I mean, there were there were places that had, you know, much higher than that. Um, well, and it was super exciting to drive to work on the freeway with no lanes. 
Yeah. So it was like Cottonwood Heights. <laughs> I'm not all. kidding. Like well, I was I on it. the freeway and going, um, I don't know what lane I'm in. I'm going to go behind the semi and then watching other cars like, oh, my lane is gone. Oh, there's another lane. Like it was a mess. So Salt Lake reported nine inches of snow. Uh, but Holiday 15, 16 and Midvale 17 and Sandy 18 in Cottonwood Heights. Um, and that actually is interesting. So the further east you went, the worse it got to the point that they actually issued avalanche advisories for the benches in the foothills of the valley, which n- almost never happens. I didn't say, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, they closed down the U. Maya said that, sh- that they shut it down there. Well, yeah, they shut it down until noon. So they didn't close down SUU. Which got hit just as badly as we did. And I had texted Cassie in the morning to say, be careful. And hadn't heard anything and hadn't heard anything. And then I was flipping through my Twitter. And I ran across this post from SUU. And it kind of freaked me out because I hadn't heard from her. Dear students, I'm sorry we did not call a snow day and cancel classes this morning. All the information I had late last night and early this morning from the National Weather Service indicated we would only get about four inches of snow in Cedar City. And then he goes on a little bit and stuff, talks about all the Mondays. And then he said, he says, um, I believe in my heart that I put students first in the decisions today. It is just that the weather did not turn out as projected. I wish I had decided otherwise, and for that, I sincerely apologize. And I'm like, whoa, how bad did they get hit, and why is Cassie not responding to me? And I send her this text. Because she was fucking and, sleeping, probably. No. <laughs> they didn't cancel classes. She had to get up and go to class yeah, and work and all that look, stuff. Cassie made a mistake her freshman year of early AM classes. She doesn't do early-ass classes anymore. Neither will Sean. So no, this, but this was later in the afternoon. This wasn't early in the morning. She just had gotten busy with everything and forgotten to let me know that she was fine. So this this last snowstorm broke the 24-hour snowfall record yep. from 1936. That was yeah. the last time we had that much snow in a 24-hour period. In, in the valley. In the valley. Again, because in the mountains, oftentimes, they'll put down two feet in a night. Without, like, yeah. It happens. But we usually good snow skiing snow. Usually, when that happens, we get a couple inches in the valley or just rain, but it gets a lot of snow up there. And no, yesterday snow was not good skiing snow because of the wind and because of how little snow it was. Brenner was up at the slopes yesterday morning. He said down here it was. Oh yeah, he said yesterday morning he was up in uh, Brighton because that's the only place snowboarders go. Uh, he said it was like just ice. He's like, on the groomed runs, it was okay, but everywhere else, it was just, just like scraping ice, ice all the time. So I know some of the, some of the Magnus schools, Cypress and some of the others, because Granite School didn't close, um, nobody went to school. No. <laughs> no. And, and like a lot of people just had the day off. I told all of my staff to work from home. The ones that live like five minutes from the office drove in, but everyone else stayed home and worked from home. So, which is a nice luxury to have for sure. I was the first one into work and I got there at eight o'clock. I put my earbuds and stuff and I wasn't listening to everybody, but they were all complaining that the doors were not unlocking. And, um, so I was talking to Kendall later and he's like, yeah, I checked in at seven 30 after I was done shoveling my walk and nobody had clocked in yet. And there's usually someone there by seven 30. He's like, I was afraid that everybody would be trapped and not coming in and that our doors would all unlock at eight o'clock and nobody would be. <laughs> and all those homeless people would be like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. for all. So he like locked him until 10 so that he would, he could be sure to be in there before he unlocked him. But everybody was like, why are the doors not unlocking? And people who don't have fobs, like they had to keep ringing the doorbell and the receptionist was a fill in and she wasn't getting why people were ringing the doorbell. Anyway, I was like, oh, thank God my earbuds were in. <laughs> so anyway, that was a lot of snow was the point. 
Uh, I fucking hate my neighbors, by the way. They parked in front of our house, knowing there was going to be a snowstorm, causing the plow to plow around them instead of plowing the fucking street, which meant I had a three foot high, roughly three to four foot wide snow berm and it was ice. Probably berm. ice. Yeah, it was ice from the road. And uh, that was fun to fucking dig out yesterday well, they, afternoon. Well, the nice thing was that they got their car out last night and the snow plows came by again this morning. So they kind of cleared that up. But the bad thing was, is they pushed all of that snow back into our cleared up. Yeah. Early. So I had to remove it again this afternoon. It was pretty high, actually, so on your side. They still don't snowplow our cul-de-sac. That's so Maybe weird. once a season. So this... this do, they, do they plow the street, the side street the by you? The main streets, yeah. yep, but they don't come into the cul-de-sac. So as of yet, ours has not been plowed. Yeah, but that's... I think there's two reasons ours gets plowed. One, I think they use it as a turnaround point because it's that right off the main road. Too. It's also wide, and there is a bus that comes down this street. We've got a bus on our street. We've got a handicapped kid on our street. So I don't know what the is. it a full size bus? But oh, yeah. your street, oh, so your street. We're not on a hill like yours, flat. though. Yeah, we're on a hill. I could not have gotten out of the street until the plow came yesterday. So I'm glad I stayed yeah. home. No, totally agreed. But it's just frustrating that they they'll we can watch them plow all around us, just not our street. Well, you know what you need to do? Go talk to your city council who lives in my neighborhood. Go talk to him. Go talk to your mayor. We lost a dog. Oh no, she no, just she came back. Okay. Uh, anyway, so that was Snowmageddon. It actually happened. It was predicted. <laughs> it happened. I think a lot of people were like, oh, it's not going to happen. Then it happened. And the well, Super Bowl. SGU's president didn't think it was going to happen. The Super Bowl happened. That was the thing. The halftime show sucked. I thought it was terrible. Um, but I have an update for you all. Oh, it's yes. Very important that you understand how the voting and the contest went. This was a very difficult contest because there were a lot of entries and the category was pretty broad. So the category was best stuffed bread product and it had to be savory. So. At least you put a little bit of a stipulation on it. Uh, yeah, because we didn't <laughs> want a whole bunch of sweet stuff. Um, so we've been testing and trying to find the best places uh, lately. So I uh, brought... Uh, Empanadas from Argentina's Argentina Argentina's best. It's not Argentina. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, if you're an idiot like me, um, Argentina's best uh, empanadas, which uh, they're always at the farmers market, um, but they also have a little storefront on Second East and Fourth South, uh, right by the Dunkin' Donuts there. Um, that has really shitty hours, by the way. They're only open for like four or five hours a day, hmm. from like ten to two or something. But uh, I was going to get the chicken empanadas and some spinach and feta because I wasn't sure how well spinach and feta would go over. I think those are the best. Uh, she gave me beef instead of the spinach and feta. No. But they were well-liked. They were well-received. Um, you know, my food mistress said he would go back and get them just to get just to have them, which is, <laughs> which is high praise. Like to bring something. them back to the office or for him to no, consume on his own time? Just for him to consume time. on his own time. Um, so that's good praise for them, but they did not even come close to winning. I think they got one vote in one category. So we voted on the filling, the bread, the ratio of filling to bread and the overall. And, uh, there were some really big contenders. So biscuits who I had enough biscuit stuff in the last month to probably be good for a while because <laughs> Scott, Scotty and I tested, uh, I think almost everything they have. He brought stuff in every couple of days. He'd go and bring something different in. 
didn't fare so well. I think hmm. their problem is consistency because we, we, in three different attempts with the same thing, we got three different results basically. Are they fairly new? Is that why? Uh, no, they've been around a while. Oh. It's, uh, where are they at? You know where Saffron Valley is? You know the spice shop that's right there? Yep. It's the bakery attached to the spice shop. Gotcha. Uh, and it's actually a really good bakery. They have really good, you know, cakes and, and pastries, and they have savory stuffed Indian stuffed pastries. So, like, mm. potato curry or chicken marsala or chicken like marsala. Yeah. yeah, I said that wrong. It's not marsala. <laughs> Chicken marsala. <laughs> it's an Italian dish. Chicken tikka. Masala. No, um, yeah, and uh, and a bunch of stuff like that. Like they have like a spicy chicken one that's really good. Anyway, uh, they also have an egg one that's really good. Um, it's got like a boiled egg in it. It's really yummy. Did anybody bring, how do you say those, kaloshes? Kaloshkis. Kaloshkis. Uh, yeah, so um, the two that were like really close to, to both winning. So um, Ruska's uh, Bakery um, does kaloshkis, which is like a stuffed breakfast pastry. So I've never had them before until I went to Texas this last year. They're really fucking good. They're everywhere. Like in this tiny little town of absolutely nothing, there's like four kaloshki bakery shops that's because there's a lot of russians and it's like they're all they're all the best and the original like every one of them the so best. so ruska's uh makes really good kolachki so we had the sausage gravy kolachki so they're filled with like sausage gravy which you think is weird but it's pretty damn good like really it's tasty like, it's like inside out biscuits and gravy yeah yeah <laughs> they do amazing. other ones with like eggs and stuff but she was trying to do the one that would be best like reheated a little bit later uh and then um Someone went to a Chinese bakery that's out in Murray called Cream Cream de Shit Bag, uh, Cream de Bakery. Uh, um, that's on State Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, the park. Oh yeah, it's just up the street from the park. Um. So, uh, and they brought a bunch of stuff. Like they kind of cheated, but it was it was Brittany that went, and Brittany said there was a language barrier and. In that um, shop, there is. She goes, there sure. was a language barrier, and I don't know exactly what I ordered, but I ordered a ton of stuff, apparently. <laughs> uh-huh. So they were like custard-filled ones, and then barbecue pork ones, and then mm. ham and cheese. The ham and cheese were spectacular. But not the not the pork buns. I, I think so, I've had their pork buns before, Let actually. me tell you the problem I have with pork buns. So these aren't your t- traditional like pork buns where they're steamed buns. They're baked. Oh, oh, and gotcha. so they're brown top. That's a problem. But already. the problem with all pork buns is this. There's not enough filling. Never with a pork bun is there enough filling based on the so amount of bread. So too much bread then? Yeah, the ratio is way off. Like in these nice big, like people can't see what I'm doing. You know who has like, good ones? Ocean Mart. Yeah. Yep, on 90th. Yeah, they do. I've had them. So they're like probably like four inches wide, like in diameter or, um, yeah, diameter. The full width is diameter, not radius. Um, so like four inches in diameter and, and pretty tall. But the pork was like a big hollow center with a little bit of barbecue pork in it. That's, That's really disappointing. But even like a pork steam bun doesn't have that much pork for how much steam bun there is usually. But the ham and cheese one was a perfect like filling to bread ratio, and the bread was hands down the best of all of them. Ah. So is that your winner? That was the one that won, but barely. Like so it from won the by like bakery. Yeah, it won by like two votes. Huh. So um, the Ruska's was was second place. So highly recommend both of those places. Also biscuits, just. There were other no cigatos, no fillings and emulsions. Nope, no one brought cigatos. Um, I think everyone felt like their meat pies weren't going to stand the test, and I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have beat those two. <laughs> nice, um, good to know. 
I don't know about feelings and emulsions because I never went there to try something. I had my heart set on empanadas. Someone brought a calzone from the pie, which was surprisingly good. Not even close, though, competition-wise. So. I don't know if I've ever had the pie's calzones. I like the pizzas, but I don't know if I've ever had it. Someone brought a croissant, uh, like a breakfast croissant from somewhere, which was kind of, it was really good, but I felt like it wasn't. While it qualified, it wasn't really stuffed. It was like cut in half and made into a sandwich. So it did not win very many votes. But the croissant was really good. The bread was really immense. That's cool. So have you decided on next month's? Uh, I don't think it's set in stone yet. So I'll let you guys know once uh, we figure it out. The the winner has to choose, and Brittany has not chosen yet. So uh, we'll see what happens. It might be that one of the suggestions was best carne asada burrito. That'd be a good one, and that's a pretty that's a pretty tight category. Carne asada burritos so. kind of sounds like Alberto's you, on third and fifth. <laughs> sounds like you got to make them pretty strict, though, or else you're going to end up with who knows what. I think this was a good one. We've also talked about best donut, but we all know who's going to win that donuts and deli on twenty seventh and state. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you when I drove by there on Saturday. People by the have way. have continued to bring in donuts from other places, and they still don't compare. So. I'd like to do a best cookie just so I can make sure. I actually sure. was just going to ask because I couldn't remember if you said that was one of your first ones or not. No, I want. I would like to do that one so we can definitively have everyone stop fucking shit talking and understand that Ruby Snap is the best cookie in the valley. Right. Because crumble's fucking gross. I don't like their cookies. They're no. not good. They literally crumble. It's terrible. Yeah, they're gross. They have too much, what is it, shortening butter. in it? Butter that just makes them fall apart mm-hmm. like that. They yeah. have too much dog shit in them. They taste <laughs> no. like dog shit. They don't taste good. The only one that I love is their coconut lime because they found a perfect ratio of that. And so um, I that one, usually I'll wait for it. And when I go in to get like, I like their s'mores one too. I'll be like, oh, I just really love that coconut lime. And they're like, it's going to be here next week. And I'm like, I can't come next week. I'm here this week. <laughs> You're like, I'm not coming again for a year, motherfucker. Right. Bremis I ha- have to like space it out because those cookies are huge. Bree has, Bree has some serious she's control because she's freaking out and not interrupting you, Jess. So <clears throat> I was flipping through my Twitter feed as I was listening to you guys talk about food. because, uh, And um, Southern University, Utah, is excited to announce Secretary Condoleezza Rice, the 66th Secretary of State, is SUU's 2020 commencement speaker. I think it's kind of cool. She's a big name. That's a big name person. (laughs) That's a big name person, though, to come and talk. (laughs) I'm not a fan of Connie. Good old Connie Rice. She's she's not my favorite. That'd be like saying, that'd be like saying, they got Mike Pence to speak. Not interested. It's cool. It's a big named person <laughs> for about, such a little teeny. What about school. Donald Trump? Would you be excited for that one? He's speaking I probably, tonight. I probably wouldn't even show up to my daughter's graduation. Yeah, but I gotta say, gonna I gotta say, if SU, you could get Donald Trump to come, that would that would be something. I need to if they pay him enough, he probably would. I need to. Uh, I should have recorded it. I need to watch it. All you need is the highlights. I mean, I don't. I can't stand listening to him talk. He's just. <laughs> he's so not a good speaker. And I just, just that early listening to the lives dementia. just grind me. They just... Yeah. <sighs> Could be. Could be. Anyway. Um, yeah, you guys do anything fun over the weekend or last week? Julia had dead? her uh, sorority girl parents weekend. Yeah, I saw that they actually do stuff for their parents I don't think you have to weekend. say sorority girl because sororities only have uh, girls. True. 
Well, however, I will, I will, however, okay. So one of the girl's parents couldn't come, so this kind gentleman escorted her as her father for Father's Night and mother for Mother's Day, and he was the only one that knew the sorority girl's song, every bit of it, every word of it. You didn't practice? Was that creepy? So when they sang it, he's the only, he like carried them through the whole thing. When it got to the end where all the girls died out, he kept going strong. So there was a guy in the sorority. Anyway, it was fun. We had well, yeah. technically there are guys that they vote into every sorority and girls that they vote into every fraternity I don't, for support. I don't know if he's a. I don't know if he was a supporter. He was just there. Anyway, we had a good time. So Saturday night was the the dads. So we did battle of the sexes game nights and other things like that. It was like two or three hours, and then the next day was the mother's tea. So they had a. Mother's tea. So they do a separate. Is that <laughs> can you so? pick if you're the if you're a mom and you want to play a game? Can you go to like the fun night? No, because no. the thing is, like, there's a lot of separated families for kids that go to Weber, and like mom and dad can't be around each other. <laughs> and if mom goes to the dad's <laughs> event, if mom goes to the dad's event, she's surely going to get railed by one of the other girls' dads, and that's just bad. <laughs> but don't you re- do you remember Cassie's first um first one where the dad came and he said that. The mom was really mad because she picked him because they could they couldn't come together either. Yeah, did he have sex with any other girls' moms that were there? No. <laughs> so that was my weekend. To, it was fun. To was... be fair, you had organized activities at your we sorority yeah, parents' actually... weekend. I love my daughter, but holy fuck, her sorority is shit in in comparison. Like, parents' weekend is I could count on this. We'd show up, we'd hang out in Cassie's bedroom or her living room for like an hour and a half while she got mad because she was taking too long to get ready. Then she'd wake up late the next day. We'd show up to do something like the ceremony and we'd either wait forever or like in the last case, they did the ceremony at 9 a.m. and didn't tell anyone, (laughs) including the sorority (laughs) president. Now, this one was actually fairly well organized and they had food and games and prizes. And I think the difference is um, Cassie's sorority is like, really new and they don't have a lot of alumni leadership around gotcha like they finally it's only have 40 years old and only? they're the, they're ask your daughter how old hers is and they're the only chapter right so it was founded down there in southern utah and they don't have a whole bunch of other chapters so i mean you think about it like the alumni they finally have one that's helping manage stuff yeah. uh that has bought a house that's going to be used as a sorority house eventually um so they're starting to get to that point where the alumni are able to give back and actually do something do for stuff. the sorority. So, yeah, I have no idea how old her is. I'll have to ask, but I know they have a budget and they've got. All, What's her sorority called? Do you know? I should know, but I can't. Some Greek it. letters mashed up together. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just. I'm gonna Facebook your daughter while you guys talk. Something about like it. it's Delta something. Yeah, D A U or something yeah. like that. Which they, daughter is it? Julia. Julia. They did the song. I knew it was one of your daughters. It's very long song. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know what I don't know what it is. It's I. It's probably been around for a while. I don't know. Let's see if it says. She, did she post her weekend or did she say something about? She said thanks for coming to my weekend, but I don't see. The she name got a bunch up. of stupid art pictures up here. It's a sorority. Um. You guys can keep talking. I'm just <laughs> looking. I'll interrupt Jess's events to tell you. <laughs> you want me to do events? You don't want to hear about my weekend? No, we want to oh, yeah, I do want to hear about your weekend. What uh, the hell? Why is there like a bag of crystal meth? <laughs> There's sparkles. All right, sorry. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, this weekend I did a paranormal investigation downtown, 
And then I went to two Sundance films. But where did you do your investigation? I don't know if I'm at liberty to say, actually. <laughs> then never mind. <laughs> but it was a space that doesn't get investigated often, and it was really awesome. So uh, that was cool. And we went to the new, well, not new, but uh, Ichiban Sushi moved like a couple buildings down, and it was so freaking Delta odd. Chai New? Yes, yeah. that's it. Okay. So, yeah, Delta Chinu. I'll look it up. Keep talking. Magenta, <laughs> magenta green, and blue. That are That's our colors. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tealish color blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, so, yeah, we went to a couple of Sundance films, and then... Were they, were they good? Were they decent? They were both incredible. Oh, good. Yes. Yes. Uh, did Got to sit through Q&As with both directors. It was awesome. And then watched other films on my journey to watch every Oscar film that's nominated for the upcoming weekend. So that's what I did. Very did you exciting. watch every movie then? Did you make it to your list? No, uh, that's actually the list that was blowing away that oh. I went to reach for when I totally wiped out today on the ice at work. <laughs> so, <laughs> did it blow uh, away? Or did you- yeah. Yeah, I dropped it. I went to reach for it and didn't realize I was standing on black ice and totally went down. So, um, no, but I'm getting close. I'm getting really, really close. How many close movies are there on this list? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Some are cross-pollinated, but there's a lot. Oh, because there are so, multiple entries. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. But I have seen a lot of really awesome movies. So. Yeah. You know, I'm, what I'm learning about fraternities and sororities is they really suck at like doing any kind of actual... Um, historical stuff because <laughs> all I've got is like the stupid college listing and stuff for them. Uh, it doesn't really say anything about like how long they've been around or anything like that. I'll have to inquire. Yeah. And she's, yeah, Cassie's hasn't been around for very long. and so She's one of the historians so she takes pictures. Oh, so she should know. So she should know. You that's would think. Not, that's not what a historian is. I mean, she just takes pictures. That's what she said. I'm, the, I'm one of the historians, so I take pictures. Yep, that's all she does. That's okay, though. That's okay. Okay, now that we're done talking about the sorority with, with no good history, Jess, <laughs> um, can, can we get some events? There's a few things going on now, right? We're past yes. the holiday so, season of no one doing anything? Correct. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I voiced my opinion that I was I was a little bit worried about my upcoming vote for Spencer Cox because of some comments that he made. I I thought I had to like rebounded until he said he's a Trump supporter last week. Guys, I don't. I might have to back out of this, well, this election. <laughs> let me tell you, uh, all the fucking retards running for governor are going to be Trump supporters. No, and they all said, no, they all said that. Exactly. And so it just, it was kind of a big bummer. So that's going into events because that happened at Silicon Slopes last week. Yeah. So, anyways, well, I'll a... t- so speaking of Silicon Slopes, because Mike Zuckerberg spoke at Silicon Slopes last week. Yeah, and he called it and and Eagle and, Rock, Utah. Yeah. But but he made fun of himself for it too. I know. But, so post him saying what he said, which was basically, yeah, I'm not going to stop people from doing false advertising crap like political ads on facebook that are you know full of completely unfactual stuff he said because he believes in freedom of speech he's going to work towards you know end user encryption and um stephen king very publicly 
deleted his Facebook account and yep. said on Over Twitter, the this is not you, you, this, this, there's a line that's being drawn here and it's not okay. And I don't think he was saying that free speech is not okay, but I think what he was saying is companies that are supporting this kind of manipulation of the public, which is exactly what that is, uh, that that's not okay and he's not going to support it. And so it's, I thought it was just a, a big deal that, that, after that, um, you you had Stephen King very publicly say, that's not okay. Yeah. Okay, let's fast forward to the 12th, which is coming up. Um, so la- last week I, I mentioned uh, Craft Lake City and all of their classes. Did you say Crap Lake City? Craft. Craft oh, Lake City. But I... Also wanted to bring up Harmon's cooking classes because we're in a new year. Uh, they do have a bunch of classes on their website, which is harmonsgrocery.com forward slash cooking school. And usually when I find these, it's too late and they're already sold out. But they have one coming up on the 12th called Lights Camera Cook at Traverse Mountain. And they are going to be making move food from some favorite movies like Julie Julia, Ratatouille, uh, chocolate, and like water for chocolate. You know what I'd like to see Harmons do? What? Put covers on their open air cases. <laughs> uh, Smith has done that. Yeah, and it's, yep. and not only have they put covers on it, but if you go to a Smith's early in the morning, like all the lights, the lights are, are down. they're yep. all motion sensitive. Yep. And so if no one's on an aisle for uh, like 30 seconds, the lights in the cases go off too. Yep. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's really cool. I'm sure that they will definitely catch up to that. Uh, we are going to be coming up on, well, we're in week two uh, of the legislative session. So the League of Women Voters on the 12th are doing a, a lunch, a bring your own lunch discussion in the Siegel Room on the 12th at 1130. If you want to go hear kind of what's happening up on the hill, some of the issues that are at hand and some of the things that need to be paid a little bit more attention to. Uh, I know that this is already getting a lot of talk in advertising in Utah, but because we had, uh, Derek on, Derek Para on a little while ago, I wanted to mention that out at the Olympic Oval from the 13th to the 16th, the ISU, uh, skating single distant world championships are going to be happening. And if you want to go, the tickets are through Smith Ticks and they're Really, really reasonable. They're eighteen dollars for adults and seven dollars hey, for kids. Hey, babe, you want to go watch speed skating for Valentine's Day? That'd be awesome. <laughs> I that was the event that I went to for the two thousand two Olympics. So we were talking about Rick Kennersley before. He was somehow involved with some of the Olympic stuff, and he got us all a sweater, and then he got us all tickets, and we did like a drawing. And Rick and Kelly and Don and I got tickets to over here to the Olympic Oval and got to go to that event. That'd be super fun. It was really actually very, very And they very have a bunch cool. of other stuff going on, like family activities, food trucks, things like that. So uh, it's not just sitting at the Oval watching. I lift weights over there. Skaters. I went to an open house for my sound wall over there. That community center is actually really cool. That's yes. actually where the Kearns Council meets and stuff. So. Very cool. Uh, one last uh, thing of note. Wasatch Community Gardens has their applications ready for the community garden program and the plots are anywhere between 25 and $50, just depending upon where you want them. They have them from Sandy to Magna to Mill Creek downtown, um, anywhere from 40 square feet to up to 200 square feet, just depending. So 
you can just log on to the wasatchgardens.org website and join a garden if you would like to. Maybe I should get a plot and keep bees. You could. Plot. You, so could. you You know how we were talking about sororities and stuff? So I looked up Delta Psi Omega. It's actually only 25 years old. That's not her. That's not her sorority. Yes, it is. You mean Cassie's? Delta Psi? Cassie's? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Their, their website actually write the very first thing on their Founded. <laughs> 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 blah, 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 blah. And it's, oh, it's yeah. 20, 25 years old, not 40. So that explains why that's, they suck yeah, so bad. So I had to give them a little bit of props because <laughs> we, we kind of dissed them. Yeah, they're not going to listen to this. They don't care about us old people talking on the radio. That's not a radio. <laughs> on uh, the radio. So we're going to talk. Uh, we're messing with the format. We're going to talk to uh, our guest, uh, and that'll probably be it for the night. Uh, it's a very good conversation with uh, Tom Carter from UCARE. Uh, so it's uh, it's worth every second. It was a really, really good conversation. So hopefully you enjoy it. Well, tonight, uh, I don't know why I always say tonight. It doesn't matter. On this episode <laughs> of the show, we're joined by uh, Tom Carter of, uh, well, now you care. But I've got questions, Tom, because I looked at a lot of the places you've been. <laughs> so I got a lot of questions on awesome. how you ended up there. Sounds good. We're excited to have you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So far in the pre-interview conversation, it's been fantastic because my kind of my kind of guy, he's probably going to be totally different though on Mike. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. And if I wasn't, if I wasn't, then I want to be a good politician. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't we start with where you're from? So I, you're not originally from Utah. Well, I was right? born in Utah. Okay. I was born in uh, at LDS Hospital in uh, spring evening in 1978. My family, you like that? <laughs> it's a story just for Jeremy. <laughs> I, I even lowered my voice into my radio voice. Okay, but um, my family rellocated. What to month were you born? In? June. Okay, so your parents like. That's a weird. That's so September. you're a so you're a d- t- t- two faces. So you come to be a politician. I'm a, I'm a Gemini. Yeah, yeah, it works out for me. So, so that's my daughter is too. So. Your parents were doing something fun in September. I'm September, sure yeah, a lot of September. It was uh, fall. It was starting to get cool. Yeah, they it was it was well planned. They wanted a uh, June baby. Um, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. I mean, like I have a son that. <laughs> Uh, is three months old, and we know exactly because we're Patriots. Fa- well, I'm a Patriots fan, and like Patriots win the Super Bowl. Nine months later, baby. <laughs> uh, so I I understand what you're trying to say to me. We moved to New England. We moved to New Hampshire when I was seven, and uh, and so I then spent my formative years in New Hampshire, and then moved from New Hampshire to New Jersey when I was fifteen, almost sixteen. I uh, graduated high school in New Jersey. Came out, uh, went on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, went, uh, then graduated from BYU with a degree in English, and then I've worked kind of all over the place. And uh, we can talk more about that if you'd like. Yeah, how was growing up Mormon outside of Utah? Because that's a, it's a very totally different, huh? totally different. different experience, and Mormons in general Makes you a better different. Mormon, especially I, in New Jersey. I agree. I think it, it does make you a better Mormon, if you will. I think you, um, you get opportunities to, like, just be different and not worry about um, hip- hypocrisy. There is no cultural Mormonism outside of what I call the Jello Belt here. <laughs> so Utah, Idaho, yeah, Arizona. There's so if there's no cultural Mormonism, you don't have to worry about am I wearing a white shirt or if w- are women wearing pants. You don't care about that stuff. You're sure. just 
Thank you for coming to church. We're glad to be here. And your ward is your family. Did you, you grow up very in, close. in North or South Jersey? Central Jersey. The one Central. The, the well, weird, Brunswick or? Uh, yeah. East Brunswick was our stake. Um, and uh, I was in the Princeton first ward. Fancy. Yes. Very fancy. I always felt bad when people asked my mom if I went to Princeton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when my, she told them I lived in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. We, I nope. did not go to Princeton or Princeton High, but boy, we like to loved being a townie and making fun of the kids at Princeton. It's beautiful University. down there, though. It's great. It's a lot yeah, of fun. It's not called. This is what people don't understand about New Jersey. I've been there quite a few times. And it's called the Garden State for a reason. Now, if all you ever do is look at it from New York City or fly into Newark, you're never going to understand because those are disgusting views of New Jersey. <laughs> Absolutely. If you spend your time in Newark or on the Turnpike, forget about it. But my my kid brother just moved back to Jersey today. What? And he uh, got into Hunter County. He took a picture from Aww. his front porch, and there were 12 deer in his front yard. I, I yeah. love it because it, it, that's true. Like in the north, it's all mountains. In the in the west, it's country. Like then you have the shore in the south, yeah. and then the. To city. be fair, con- perfect. Country in New Jersey isn't super sticky. Like I've been to the country in New Jersey, and it's still <laughs> it's a little bit different. It's twenty no, minutes like, away it's from like a farmland. Yeah, like it's, you're still sitting on a porch eating corn. Like it's like Centerville. Farm animals around you? No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like Centerville. It's like Riverton was fifteen years ago. It, that's right. It's like it's like Draper was twenty years yeah, ago. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's it's on that level where. There's a lot of stuff, but there's also still some random farmland. Yeah. It's like Harriman was five years ago. You yeah, should, yeah you, that's a good point. You should tell your brother to take a trip to Melbourne and have a Melbourne deli sandwich for me. I will. In my I'll honor. let him know. Thank you. He, he, had, he and his family had pizza tonight because he's like, we haven't had pizza <laughs> since we left Jersey the first time, and now it's good to be back and eat uh, real pie. There is, a good, yeah. there is a good New York-style pizza place in the Valley. It's Big Apple Pizza. Big Apple Pizza is great. I don't know of any other quality new york style pizza place in the valley no my wife and i stumbled onto that about a year ago because we were we were at a funeral and i'm like i'm hungry and she's like can you focus and i'm like odd pizza yeah and so then i just did a quick google search of close pizza and we ran into big apple pizza and you walk in it has the feel yeah of a shitty new york pizza parlor and i'm like this is perfect (laughs) and i'm like and we can buy by the slice you're like absolutely i'm like forget about it we're here forget about it i'm all in so it's great, but I don't know of another one. I don't know of another good New York pizza place no, around. It's, it's good. It's the one, it's the one we go to. Yeah, it's good. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so you you are in Jersey now. I'm. I want to ask you about your career, but maybe I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about post college what you started doing because I went through and looked at some of the places you've been and I have no fucking clue how you ended up at UCARE. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> so we can take an even further step back to my childhood. In 1988, my mother ran for state legislature and I fell in love with it. And I worked on her campaign. I raised money. I made phone calls. I just... You were I'm, like, what, 10? I was 10. And I'm like, this is it. I love it. She won. And the thing about the state legislature in New Hampshire is it's huge. 450 members of the legislature... You get paid a thousand bucks a year and, uh, and, but you get free tolls. And let me tell you, that's real money. That is real money. And so yeah, I got, I got, I, and people in Utah don't understand because we don't have any toll roads. In no, Utah. but if you, like back East, it's all about tolls. I mean, forget about it. It is fantastic. I remember telling clients like, oh, I'm going to just hop on the freeway. They're like, we don't have freeways out here. What's a freeway? <laughs> there's it's an free. interstate and there's a toll road. Right. There's no freeway. So I fell in love with it and got really engaged. My father was involved as well. And so um, after that 88 election, we had a friend run for Congress in 90, and I got involved in his campaign as well and my mother's reelection campaign in 90. So I was working on those 
we did his reelect in 90. And then, of course, before the 94 election, we, we moved to New Jersey. And so I had a big taste of all politics. And really, the elements that I loved the most were fundraising and communications. And it's very rare that anybody likes fundraising. And I'm like, this is my favorite part. Give me the phone. How, how many people can I call today and talk to them and ask them for money? And uh, when I meet with students these days who want to get into politics and nonprofit work, the first question I ask them is, are you willing to raise money? And can you pick up the phone? And that's kind of the baseline for me. I graduate um, and my field, although it's a degree in English, I'd worked and done a bunch of, of internships in healthcare policy. So I end up in Ohio and Tennessee with the hospital associations there before going to D.C., which is, I think, where we're going to pick up the story. I worked for the Utah Hospital Association. Did, was Rick Kinnersley the president then? Yes, he was. He's like the best person in the whole world. I, I <laughs> love Rick Kinnersley. He he's the one that hired me, and he's the he freaking amazing man, that he, man. He's great. He I, is. His I wife, it, we used to go to his house for Christmas parties. I don't know if you'd ever gone to his house up on Signal Point Circle. Mm-hmm. Oh, they just decorated it beautifully and they just welcome you in and it was just like home. And yeah, yeah, no, I worked for him most of my career at the hospital association. He was amazing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Rick. Me too. Um, and so I worked at the Ohio Hospital Association and the Tennessee Hospital Association. Then I realized I needed more experience. Um, and so I went and became a Hill staffer and went to DC and worked for a member of Congress. Really loved it. Really enjoyed it. Um, then this is post 9-11, but about a year after 9-11. And then country went to war, right? And those of us who were there learning and working on, on domestic policy, everything kind of slowed down on domestic policy. And so I had made a friend with, I'd made friends with a man named Fred Clare. And Fred was the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers from 1985 to 2000. And I made friends with him in the most bizarre way. He had written an article when Eric Karros got traded from the Dodgers because he had drafted Eric Karros and it was on MLB.com. And at the very bottom was his email address. And I was working in Tennessee at the time and I just emailed him and he emailed back. And I mean, it took a little bit of chutzpah, but Hey, forget about it. Right. What's, what's the worst thing that happened? He doesn't write back. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so he wrote back and so we started emailing back and forth and we had this great relationship and I, so I'm, I'm, Working in Congress, I'm like, I'm not sure if this is right for me, and I'm not sure if this is what I should do. And he said, you know, you should work in baseball. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, absolutely. I'd love to. Like, that's a shift. And he said, look, I got some friends with the Diamondbacks, and I know what they're trying to do with one of their minor league teams is they're trying to build a stadium without raising taxes. They've set up a nonprofit. At least talk to them. I'm like, where is this? They're like, Montana. I'm like, I'm from Jersey, man. They're like, no, it'll be fine. Like, You're, you got Utah roots. It'll be fine. So I called them and a week later, I packed up my car from my place in DC, sold a bunch of stuff and moved out to Montana. I was there for a year and a half, uh, about a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, two seasons and raised uh, almost a million dollars, about $800,000. To build this stadium with that. As part of that nonprofit? It's as part of that nonprofit to, to build that stadium. And they have this great, beautiful stadium right on the river up there that they didn't have to raise taxes for. Diamondbacks organization, uh, this minor league part of the Diamondbacks, they then asked me if I'd go to California. And, uh, they had a minor league team that had five years where they had net loss in attendance. So they just were bleeding people. And they're like, you're creative. Go come to California and help us with this. I'm like, Okay, I don't know. <laughs> sure, whatever. So it's a land me out of Missoula. Yeah, yeah. So I went to 
Lancaster, California, and which if you've ever been to Lancaster, it's beautiful. It's the Antelope Valley. It's, it's Los Angeles County, but it's not Los Angeles, which is tough. It's kind of a bedroom community. People commute in and out of there. Um, and you have all the taxes of LA, but none of the fun. And you have this minor league team there, but you have a major league team just down the road with the Dodgers. And even further down the road, you have a second one with the Angels. So how do you compete? How do you get people to come to ball games? And there's a lot of focus on how do we get people who work in LA to come to a baseball game in, in Lancaster on their way home on a Wednesday night. And so we put together a plan. My, my mindset was, um, you know, we're focusing on the wrong people. And I went and put together a partnership with the Hispanic chamber of commerce there. And, uh, I'm like this, this group of people that live and work in this Valley love baseball and we've got a great price point. And so I asked, I, I was a Spanish speaking missionary and I've lost all my language, but I didn't, I still spoke it then spoke it pretty well then. So I said, look, let's put together a strategic partnership. And like, what do we have to do? I'm like, all I ask is for five minutes at your annual meeting at this big banquet and just let me make my pitch to invite people to the ballpark. So like, sure. And they thought I was going to do it in English. I walk up there and those of you that are listening to this can't see me, but I am blonde haired, blue eyed. I mean, I am. Do not You're look the like, white guy. I'm the white guy. <laughs> so they're like, it's great. We've got Tom Carter from the Lancaster Jethawks. He's the director of promotions and marketing here. He just wants to welcome everybody to, to the event tonight. And so I walked up there and in Spanish, because I served in California, so I spoke the California version of Spanish, I invited everybody to the ballpark and asked them to join us and be part of our business partnership. And for the first time in five years, we had an increase in, in attendance and new sponsors and just a whole new business model. And I enjoyed it. It was fun, but it's a tough lifestyle, baseball. And, um, you know, it's, I always joke with people that you work more Sundays in baseball than you do if you work in football. And, um, it's not, it's not conducive to family life. I was single at the time and I wanted to settle down. I hoped for a different, different life and got a call, um, an opportunity to go back to New Jersey. I, um, they were looking, it was just before, right around Katrina and they were having some issues with emergency preparedness and I got a call to go back and I said, sure, it gives me close to my folks, says some, some old friends and. I went and got a grant-funded position there to be the director of, I guess, the coordinator of bioterrorism and emergency preparedness for the hospital association there. Um, and this is a good job. I had zero qualifications for it. Um, <laughs> but I could raise money and I could tell a story. And so I went and I, I stayed there for about six months um, until I'm like, you guys actually need someone that can do this job. Emergency preparedness <laughs> is not as easy as it sounds. No, it's, it's not like, you know, putting together your food stuffs or whatever. No. There's like... Certain wattages of radios and like certain yeah, did, amounts of things. Did and, your LDS upbringing with food storage actually no. help in your? It helped a little bit, but it was with the <laughs> hospitals, and and it, the job changed after Katrina because there was a lot of conversations about what do we do with these hospitals and how do we make sure these hospitals are prepared and excuse me, how do we ensure that um you know if we have to create a field hospital system throughout new jersey are do we have the materials and the access to materials and i'm like ah, sure maybe i don't know here's a here's a catalog this is where i would go so i did some interviewing and some phone calls and and activated my network and i got hired to be the director of government affairs for a company that at the time was called catholic health and human services 
again, I'm a nice Mormon boy. <laughs> and uh, went to BYU. And this was the this was the healthcare and human service wing of the Archdiocese of Newark. It was a big deal. It was, and it's a great job. And we had, so I was the director of government affairs, and and our clients were so it's kind of we were the umbrella organizations. We had three acute care hospitals, all in Newark. Excuse me. We had a psychiatric hospital, and then we had Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese, and then we grew, became Catholic Health East New Jersey, and we ended up with a hospital in Trenton and a hospital in Camden. So here I am, white Republican Mormon, representing the most urban hospitals for the Catholic Church. In New <laughs> Jersey. You're mostly Republicans anyway. You're, you're good. Uh, not in New Jersey. Not in, the, not in urban Jersey. <laughs> not urban New Jersey. Um, but I learned an awful lot uh, in that job, and I loved it. I loved it so much. We, you know, you you really look at the front line of healthcare um, in a place like that. We, you know, this is before the Affordable Care Act. We're we're looking at six hours cash on hand. We'd have lawyers that were that were at the uh, electric company, like do not turn off the power at these hospitals. We cannot turn off the power. Primary people's primary care was our emergency department. And you want to work with people to say, look, you can go to FQHC or you can see a doctor with your Medicaid or with your charity care. But they were just conditioned to go to the emergency department. You can't turn mm-hmm. them away. And so you have to figure out what your reimbursement rates are and how you can draw it down federal money. And we don't see that as much here in the state of Utah. But in a place like, you know, urban New Jersey, New York City, like that's just how it is. It is. I mean, there is an, uh, a, a level of poverty that we do not understand in the state, um, and I and I think that's a it's a good thing and a bad thing. There are pockets of poverty in the state, absolutely, sure, and it's different kind of poverty. Like we have, we don't have urban poverty, and we do, we do throughout kind of West Valley and western parts of uh, the western part of the Kearns. city, Kearns, share parts of Kearns, yeah, gangland, <laughs> um, but. We also we have rural poverty absolutely in the state, right? Where you go past the Pace and Dixon line and you have almost eight percent unemployment. <laughs> well, we've talked about this before with me working at the hospital association. Yeah. Like we have great rural hospitals, but great. the only reason we have great rural hospitals is because of Intermountain Healthcare and their great urban hospitals that finance those. That doesn't happen. No. In other in other states. So in New Jersey, there are 161, 165 acute care hospitals. In Utah, we joke there are four. There's Intermountain, there's University, there's Steward, and there's, uh, Mount, yeah, Mount, so Side, St. Mark's. Mark's. It's St. Mark's specifically, but yeah. Yeah, but so you look at, you look at four large systems and they go into these rural communities and they can afford to provide quality care because their payer mix is up here. Yep. And if you only have, you know, if our payer mix was, so we had those three hospitals in Newark and they were all in Newark. And so how do you spread out your payer mix when you know your best payers? And they're all on like one block, right? Too. <laughs> and so your your major payers, and this is a terrible way to talk about healthcare, but your pay, your payers are in your hearts and in your limbs, and Medicaid and Medicare when they're your when your government are your best payers, and Medicare pays at eighty cents on the dollar, and Medicaid pays at sixty cents on the dollar, <laughs> but they're your best payers because they pay on time, mm-hmm. and so you don't have to fight your third party payers. Intermountain has a great deal because not only are they the largest hospital. But they're also the largest insurance company, and so they get their bills paid on time. Yep. Getting people to pay their bills on time, third-party payers, that was the biggest part of the problem we had with these urban hospitals. Because I'm like, I'll take a Medicare patient because I know I'll get 80 cents, and I'll get it on the 20th of the month every single month. But we're also providing very expensive care. Um, and so 
it was a tough job. I learned an awful lot about politics, about New Jersey, about people, about different elements of politics. You know, uh, Cory Booker was elected mayor while I was there. Cory's a good guy, um, smart guy. It's one of the smartest people I've ever dealt with. Um, he had just got elected. If you don't, if you've never seen the documentary about him, Street Fighters, what it's called, it's on Netflix about his first run for mayor. I've got like so much respect for him and so many great stories. When Corey, uh, when I took the job there at Catholic Health East or Catholic Health and Human Services, within a year after the first budget we did, the state budget, both the budget chair and vice chair were in prison. The state, the state Senate, wow. the Senate budget chair and vice no. chair. And I'm like, so we talk about corruption here in Utah. There's no corruption. Everybody's nice. Like maybe there's some mistakes, <laughs> but I mean, there's no corruption. Like people. Well, there, there are some people like the corruption level of Utah, like the John Swallow and, and that's, that's the level of corruption in Utah yeah. where they can't even actually convict him. Right. You know? Well, and like this was a situation where we did it. There was a state shutdown and. We had a Democrat governor, a Democrat Senate, and a Democrat Assembly. But the Senate was run by the North Jersey Democrats, and the Assembly was run by the South Jersey D- Democrats. The governor was – he was kind of an outsider. And you think if everybody's of the same party, you can get things done. But, ah, you know, North Jersey, South Jersey, forget about it. It's two different worlds. Utah doesn't get things <laughs> done either, and we're yeah. all Republicans. All, right. So, so it's, when you have a supermajority, it's, just, it's a problem. And so we shut down the state over the 4th of July – so you got to close down the beaches. You got to close down the casinos. You got to close down a bunch of stuff. And we're all sitting there. The the um, the Delaware River floods, and it takes out the power in the state house. It's a terrible time. And so we're shut down for about a week. And then we come back, and the budget is all a mess. Surprise! And then within six months, the chair and vice chair sent a budget in prison for steal for steering not stealing steering money to no show jobs to family members. And we're like, we were shut down for a week. And this is what you were negotiating? Money for your friends? Anyway, one of them was... Very New Jersey. One of them was uh, the mayor of Newark at one point. And so if you have a chance to watch that documentary about uh, Cory Booker and Shark, Shark Would James... Would you have you voted did. for him if he didn't... No. Hello. I, work, work. I mean, look. Oh, would I vote for Corey? I love yeah. Corey Booker. Corey's a great friend. I'm, I'm not of the right party, but I, uh, I, you if you go, you vote for him in the general. Yeah, if, yeah. In the general, yeah. <laughs> if, you if, uh, <laughs> if you go back and look deep enough at campaign finance, I have donated money to Corey Booker. Nice. Um, when he was, when he ran for mayor and when he ran for U.S. Senate. So yeah, I'm, I like Corey. I tell the story when he took over the city. We had him at uh, one of our hospitals. We had him at St. Michael's, and the budget, the city budget, was a mess. And uh, so he was doing a press conference right in front of our hospital, and brought out a big bank of cameras, big bank of, of microphones. And he stood there, and he just answered everybody's questions, and he twiddled his thumbs like this, and he was answering these high, answering these high level budgetary questions. I'm like, man, this guy is just. Smart. I'm never going to be the smart. Wicked smart. Man. I'm never going to be the smart. It's like Simgill. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I had a question for you before sure. we get out of the hospital system in New Jersey. Um, why does Newark smell so bad? Because, uh, I mean, I'm not... It's a good question. Like, the rest of Jersey does not smell, but when you get within, like, 15 minutes of Newark, it reeks. So, it's refineries. It's uh, it's um, it's the refineries that are outside of it. Um, but our refineries don't smell like that, but we've also put in some best available control technology here in the Utah refineries. How's that for a good segue yeah. into the current job? We're, no, we're not there yet. Yeah, there's, there's a couple more jobs there's that have more, me super interested. Yeah, um, but it's partly the refineries. I think it's partly some uh, poor water management from uh, the, the 60s and 70s. 
The Hudson's a big part of that. I think Elizabeth's a bit of a promise at caucus, maybe stinks a little bit. Oh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's probably it. Uh, you know, I mean, Newark never really recovered after the, the riots in the late sixties. Yeah. And they've tried, they've tried hard. A town, man, that city is something else. Yeah. It's a, look, you don't got to pump your own gas in Jersey. Um, I wouldn't get out of my car in Newark to do it. So. No. <laughs> I lived in East Orange. That was the closest. That, that's pretty close. I know. That's right there in Essex County. <laughs> yep. My daughter went back east and she, it was right around, what was she, 17? Yeah, I don't know. Something yeah. like that. And one of the girls that was driving, she had traveled from Jersey and she drove, where, where did she go? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. So they're in there and she's the one driving. And then the other two girls, I don't know if they couldn't drive or whatever, but they all get to the gas station and the Jersey girl's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. A gas is like, oh my god! Gas. Okay, everybody out of the car. Here's a gas pumping. <laughs> man, Jersey girls—they don't—they just pump their fists. They don't pump their gas, man. Cassie didn't realize that she had never known oh, yeah. that, and and they hadn't discussed it. Like it wasn't like you don't think about talking about that. You don't right? even think about it. And she's like, really? Like none of you know how to pump? Oh, so she made them all get out of the car and taught them all how to pump gas. That's awesome. That's that's perfect. So you go from the the hospital system in in Jersey, and then you move into government then right? yeah back well yeah so i um i got approached to run for office at that point and uh i told him no twice and these guys all had vowels in their last name at the last letter of the last name <laughs> and just leave it that way i'll just do this with my nose. <laughs> and uh yeah, great guys can't good friend can't see that <laughs> but you guys know in the room what i mean by that <laughs> the irishman uh, um, and um <laughs> So I, uh, so finally the third time I said, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to raise my own money. So I ran for, um, I ran for the city council, their city government in a small municipality called Montgomery, Montgomery Township. It's the southernmost part of Somerset County, about 30,000 people. It's where I went to high school. It's a beautiful, beautiful town. And, uh, it was great. It was a great experience to run for office. Hard. Um, and it's very retail. I, uh, you know, I went and I knocked doors all day, every Saturday. I made phone calls Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights to potential voters. I knew exactly how many people I needed to talk to to win. Additionally, it's um, partisan. It's a partisan election out there in the city, uh, city government. And Democrats had held that seat for more than 10 years. And uh, so here I was. I was 30 years old. I had no business or right doing it, but I raised enough money. I got outspent four to one. So you can, you don't have to raise the most money. You just have to raise the right amount of money and spend it strategically <laughs> and, uh, and talk to everybody. And we worked really hard and then we won and it was awesome and it was cool. Nice. And, but then I'm this 30 year old on this municipal government, not knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> and we, it was in the throes of the, dep- of the recession. You know, we had big issues around planning. We had people just abandoning their houses. We had an enormous tax burden. We had phenomenal debt. Um, and, uh, and that's, uh, that's a rich part of a very rich part of New Jersey. So people just, so we couldn't, uh, you know, we had, we had an astronomically high property taxes. And then my first year, um, on the, on the council, on the committee, they, the school board came and wanted to increase property taxes by almost $600. And, uh, Think about this. So it's 2010, 2009, 2010. Think about what was going on across the country, right? It's like we're in bad place. And so that fails. So it goes to the the people 
And when that fails, it then comes to the city council and we get to decide what we do. So we tried to negotiate, negotiate down and uh, we ended up cutting it and it was really tough, really tough um, to cut the school budget, but we had to. And, um, so I learned an awful lot on that job. As my term was coming to a close, and I think this is where we want to get to, is what you want. Is- <laughs> well, I mean, like, you, you've already been in baseball. Like, it's yep. not a jump then to move, to, to move into another. But it, it's, it's interesting to see the, the, the movement in your career from, you know, doing stuff as a kid in, like, you know, government campaigns to, you know, baseball of all things. Of all things, yeah. Well, I, so kind of the next move was um, I went to Australia. Um, on behalf of Major League Baseball. So Major League Baseball had purchased the rights to Winter League in Australia, and I still had a lot of good friends in baseball, and I really enjoyed my work. And so I had some good conversations with the office in New York City, and they said, you know, we'd love to send you to Australia. Would you go? I'm not married at the time. I didn't have family obligations. I had, you know, I had my folks and my siblings, and I said, sure. I mean, what? when do you get an opportunity to go to a foreign country and work on behalf of baseball? And, you know, my... You know, I've got this bizarre resume, but the, and, and I recognize that. But the the main theme, kind of throughout this resume, is fundraising and relationship building. And so they even question that, like, look, it's going to be different. Like, you know, you picked up and moved to Montana, and that was weird for you working in D.C. But you're picking up and moved to an entirely different country. Are you going to be okay? And I'm like, I'll figure it out. Did they tell you about the spiders? They told me about the spiders. <laughs> they told me about everything, and it was—I'll tell you—it was hard. Um, because when I worked in baseball in the States, you can pick up the phone and be like, hi, I'm Tom, and I'm calling from baseball. You want to come? And people are like, baseball? Sure. Go to Australia. I'm like, hi, I'm Tom. I'm calling from baseball. I'm like, what the fuck's baseball? Right. Dude? Like, what? We have baseball? Why, why do we have baseball? What <laughs> You're a, like, it's reverse cricket. Like, it's going to be, but come. And so we had to work very, very hard to get a fan base, to get media contracts, to get sponsors, to make it financially viable. Because our players were coming from all over. We, so I, were you starting the program up? So down I, there, I came after that? I came after the first year. So yeah, you were starting the program. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but it was a, a fascinating opportunity to say, look, um, we all grew up with baseball. What they knew of baseball was from American popular culture, right? They'd seen it in movies and TV, which makes it look amazing, and it is not. It is boring as shit. Okay, I disagree, but yes. (laughs) Um, From a guy who's done baseball for like seven or eight years in his career, I can understand. (laughs) But if you have no, if you have no background, think about it. They watch. You can go to cricket for five days. Yeah, that game sucks too. And there'll be no winner. And they're like, "Cool, that was fun." And I'm like, "Mm, "No, in America, we need a winner. (laughs) We, because we would have that. We'd go a game of trophies for everyone. We we get to uh, the ninth and to be tied and." People would get up and like, okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. We play till we win here. Yeah, it's like, oh, just going to go. And sit. Like, I'll, I'll, you we can got... drink until we are done. And they're like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, That's why people like baseball. Yeah. <laughs> so we worked really hard, and um, and we it was a small staff. We would um, we they they'd send me two or three interns every eight months, and we that's how we churn and burn. It was a small organization, um, and it was great. It was hard, 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 hard. Um. And it was, but it was romantic and fantastic. And, you know, what, by the time I left, I did, uh, I was there four years. We did three seasons. We were the number one summertime draw in my region. We were out drawing cricket. We were out drawing basketball. We were out drawing soccer. The only things we were out, weren't out drawing was, were the rugby codes that they weren't playing in the summer. So I can say the number one summertime draw. <laughs> so, sounds to me like you need to get involved with major league soccer and their growth. Yeah. They're doing well here though in, uh, 
in Utah, Salt Lake, and even kind of the junior program out in Harriman is doing really oh, great. Yeah, it's doing I've got fantastic. the I've got some friends that are working with the the rugby program with the Warriors here. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. It's really great. And the key is, I used to say when my calls back into New York, and they say, you know, we'd like to see bigger numbers, we'd like to see figure it out. What? Why aren't people just in love with this? I'm like, guys. It's but not you, a pastime. Right, it's, yeah. Try get on the phone right now and try and sell like professional women's lacrosse. That's what I'm selling out here. I, like, do you want to come well, to see professional women's lacrosse? Kind of, but maybe cricket, I don't know. Even, even cricket here, here, no one is going to go to a. Cricket they're not going to go because cricket sucks. And so it's like, <laughs> but we felt, and we, and we have the numbers that back this up. If I could get you to one game, and we weren't selling baseball, we were selling. Be with your friends and your family the experience, yeah. for three hours. I'm going to sell you an American hot dog. I'm going to sell you American beer. I'm going to sell you Coca-Cola. We're going to do all the minor league baseball fun things in between innings. And you might see a major leaguer and you're going to have a really fun experience. And I had Didi Gregorius played for me. So he's, he was a starting shortstop with the Yankees. He's been traded since then. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, who's a starting center fielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. Now these guys were all still minor leaguers, but we had good, good ball players come through our system and they, you know, through our player development contracts, we didn't know that they were going to be great when we got them. But when you saw them, you're like, this kid's got something. And so it's it was great. We won a championship, um, an Australian championship. We, Because we were Australian Baseball League champion, we went and played in the Asia series. So the champions of the Japanese league, the Korean league. They're, really they're good, good at Japanese. baseball. They're very good at baseball. So <laughs> like my player payroll was 50 grand. The Japanese player payroll was fifty million. Yeah, the Japanese <laughs> spend money on baseball. Well, yeah. I mean, look at their junior leagues and the, right. that they 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 have every. So yeah. their team fifty million, the Korean team thirty million. We were fifty thousand, and they had pla- planned for us to come play two preliminary games and fly back. We won the whole thing. Oh. Wow! And nice. uh, which was huge cash infusion to our league. And and we were in Taiwan and everybody was really pissed that we won. And it was great. It was great because like, that's part of it, right? Let's all band together and just be awesome. And you only have to be, you know, it's just hitting a baseball. Hardest thing to do in sports, but it's just hitting a baseball. And we had a lot of fun with it. Um, I ended up back in Utah. My folks, so I did that. The last, my last project there, the Dodgers and Diamondbacks opened the 2014 season in Sydney. And uh, so I got to be part of that. And it was a lot of fun. It was really cool to bring all those folks out and sit down with um, Clayton Kershaw and his wife and talk to them about what was going on in, in Australia and get them over to the zoo. And they got to hold a baby kangaroo and also let them see how we were growing the game and to get all these people at the Sydney cricket ground to experience kind of the the best at the game and, and have those opportunities. My folks had come back to Utah from, uh, they were living in Manhattan at the time. My mom had fallen ill. And my dad called and he said, look, I just need you to come back. I was the only single uh, member of my family at the time, and you just don't say no to that. And so, like, okay, I'll come back to Utah. I came back, did some consulting, got hired on with a small public affairs firm downtown and worked on a few small issue campaigns. Um, just enjoyed being back in Salt Lake City. Um, and then took another weird turn where the... They tried to do arena football again in Salt Lake, uh, the Salt Lake Screaming Eagles. Yeah, that's that's the one that was the most interesting to me is how you got involved with that. So um, a couple of my friends were, got, uh, were working with the ownership group, and they're like, they said to them, there's one, there's a guy here in Utah that does sports, and he's not doing sports right now. Meet with him. <laughs> so I met with them, and, and the Screaming Eagles, it was an interesting concept, right? They It was having it was fan-controlled football. They let the fans call all the offensive plays, and I said, look, if you guys are fully capitalized, if you have all your money and you have your technology, this could be this could be awesome. And they had 
all their technology. And it was really fun and, but really hard. Also, we weren't, we weren't fully staffed. Um, we, we had maybe three or four interns. We finished with one and it was, uh, hard, hard work. So that's kind of been the theme of my job. Is like, I was going to say, is career. this, so now that you're at UCARE, is that the easiest job you've had so far? <laughs> it's been the different, uh, the different, uh, not easy, but different in a way that like, hasn't taxed my health or made me just want to sleep all so my whole life. How do you transition from the Screaming Eagles to, to UCARE? I understand how you leave the Screaming Eagles because yes. that whole thing was a, it fell apart. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great question. And, and, uh, so when I was at the Screaming Eagles, um, I got sick in the February of that season. And as I said, we didn't have enough staff for me to take any time off. And so I went and then when I doc and he's like, yeah, you got pneumonia. I'm like, cool. He's like, so you're going to take like three weeks off. I'm like, nope. <laughs> what are the options? And he's like, oh, well. Death. De- you could die. And I'm like, or what else? He's like, I can give you some steroids. Or what else? Uh, I can give you some steroids. I'm like, what are the, what are the, uh, what are the side effects of the steroids? And he's like, it's going to make you mean. I'm like, no, it'll notice. I'm already pretty mean. And plus, I've only got interns, so who cares? <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, you're going to put on weight. I'm like, cool. I'll grow a beard. No one will notice. And, uh, so I, I did walking pneumonia from February to June. Holy crap. And, uh, it was, rough and so finally i took a um we as we wound down and scream eagles and i went and met with my doctor and took some time off and we went back and looked He's like well you didn't die you, you made it i'm like yeah it's like can we write a paper about you <laughs> sure. so we went back and we looked through the calendar we looked at what was going on and i got sick i got pneumonia on the worst air quality day that year mm. and i'm like huh interesting this is not unique but life-changing because because I was bad with my own personal health, I had deteriorated my lungs. And if I if I had taken better care of myself, I have to own some of this. It wouldn't have been as devastating. At the same time, I went to lunch with a friend of mine, and I was telling him this, and he goes, "You know, Ted Wilson has just retired from UCARE, and they're looking for someone with your background in fundraising, your understanding of politics, and and he's had pneumonia. And, and this issue, <laughs> you should go run UCARE. And I'm like, I mean, I'd love to, but I mean, who? What? And then he said, here's the name of the person that's running the search. Call him. And I did. I called him that day. And I, and I'd done some projects with, with that person back when I was with this small government, government affairs firm. And I said, Abby, I, uh, I want, I wanted, I want you care. I want to do this job. And, uh, it's personal and, it, and I think we can do some great things and I think we can affect change. And she said, are you available? I'm like, I'm available now. Um, and, so she's like, great, send me a resume, um, and can you send... And you went, football, baseball, Australia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, let's do this. Um, and so within a month, I was hired. And um, and so that was almost two and a half years ago. And it's been a wild roller coaster. And Where does your wife fall into all of this? Great question. Um, so I met my wife, we met at a party like two days before I got offered the UCARE job. And, uh, so this is a new family relationship. Brand new. Yeah. So, uh, we met new wife, new baby, new job, new all of it. Yeah. The baby's three months, uh, three months old. Um, we got, my wife and I got married in April of 18. So we haven't even been married two years. And, uh, so we met in kind of in September, we'd end up going on our first date in December of, I guess that's 17, got married in April. And so it's been kind of, I'd say you care was kind of like, I mean, I'm, I'm over 40, but 
you care was kind of that moment for me where if all the background of relationship building and understanding politics, understanding policy, understanding fundraising kind of led me to this moment where it was time for me to just take what I call my Pope job, this opportunity to affect good quality change, affect the quality of life of, of the people here in Utah, settle down, have a family, and just enjoy what life has to offer. Well, that's all the time we have today. Yeah. <laughs> you have to come back. Uh, no. no, so now let's, let's, that's, I mean, that's, I think it's just, it, when I went through and looked at, at your career, um, I was like, geez, this dude's done a lot of shit. Like he's it was like a thousand lives. And, and I mean, it really was to me. It was crazy to see the government, the baseball, the hospital, stupid football league that yeah. failed. Um, but like all of that, and then you end up at UCare, and that's just a crazy journey for anyone to take from a career standpoint. Um, and and it's uh, so it was just really interesting. I, I appreciate you sharing all of that because I think it's a. A hell of a journey that's quite unique. Well, I appreciate it. You know, one of the things that I, I say when I go and do mentoring at colleges and high schools is you don't have to know what you want to be when you grow up. You just have to know what you want to try. And you can tell by my resume, I just am interested in trying things. So it's like, you know, I've got this great background in healthcare policy and I tried a bunch of things in that and I loved baseball. I got an opportunity to try the business end of baseball, which led me to when I was 38, this, but if I wasn't willing to give give things a try and even bet on myself and go to Australia and take, I took a huge pay cut to go to Australia, but it led me to understanding how people think in a different way, which has allowed me to be successful in different areas. So I think unless you know how to do math um, or you're interested in computers, then you should just do that because that's a real career. <laughs> There's none you know, of this. Everything oh, I else is out. a hobby. Yeah. By the way. Oh, well, oh, just depends yeah. on how well you get paid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Journalism, absolutely. <laughs> so now that we made it to UCARE, will you explain a little bit about what it is? Sure. So UCARE, um, or our full name is the Utah Clean Air Partnership, so commonly known as UCARE, is a, uh, it's a non-governmental 501c3 nonprofit. It was started about seven years ago as an initiative by the governor with this idea that um, air quality had become too political in the state. Um, too many people were taking a political angle, and so nothing was getting done, right? We talked about this a little bit kind of in our pre-conversation, even in this conversation, where when you have kind of a supermajority, things come at you from the left, people are just going to put up their hands and say, I'm not interested in this. But air quality is not a political issue. Like, we can all see... The inversion and recognize what's going on. Yeah, when you, you can, can taste you it can too. Taste, taste it, right? When you can see and taste the pollution in the air, you can't deny it's there. So the governor just said, "Like, let's take the politics out of it. So let's find, let's fun, uh, let's form fund is not part of it. Let's form a group. <laughs> That's why you're there. I'm trying to get it yeah, funded. Right. Let's form a group um, that can help first get people, the general public, to better understand the problem, and then two, identify solutions." It lived in the Department of Environmental Quality for a short period of time until they came to this understanding or more of this realization that Utahns, general Utahns, don't want to be told what to do by the government. I know. Took them weird. More. Republicans don't weird, want to be told. Weird. And so then it got rolled out to be the standalone non-governmental 513C3. Ted Wilson, who was the mayor of Salt Lake City in the 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. then went on to be the um, the head of the Hinckley Institute of Politics was the first executive director. Ted's daughter's Jenny Wilson, the mayor of Salt Lake County now. Ted is a, a legend. And 
then they asked me, as we talked about, to be the, the next to second executive director. We do three things, or at least we try to do three things, three pillars within our organization. The first thing, as we talked about, is, is public awareness, public outreach. We have a, we do large scale campaigns. We do one in the winter and one in the summer. In fact, the summer one is going to be new this year as part of our growth initiative. During these campaigns, we do everything from billboards to television commercials. We do uh, speaking speaking engagements, um, media outreach, and then we do kind of digital and social. So we know how to talk to people in a way they're going to receive it, um, where we're buying on Hulu and Pandora and just try and get the message out. And the message is twofold. This is the problem. Here are five things you could do today to be part of the solution. And it's all really personalized on um, helping people identify their role in the solution. And really, it's you cannot be part of the solution until you know what the problem is. We talk about inversion a lot. A lot of people don't know inversion is weather. Weather. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You did it. So you you were actually dressed <laughs> at one of Ben McAdams meetings I like was. a week ago. And my cousin is an intern for him. And she said you were there. And I was like, oh, he's going to be on our show in a couple of weeks. And then she, and I was like, did they talk about windmills? And she was like, yes, they talked about windmills. And yeah. I was like, did they talk about how inversion is weather? Because that's my biggest pet peeve. And she's like, actually, they did. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we always say that it's... um our role in air quality is step three. So it's geography, weather, and then emissions. And we can't change our geography. I mean, we could, but you'd get in a lot of trouble. We cannot change our... Like, <laughs> You're like, what happened to that mountain? Well, well, don't look at Kennecott. Do you want them all to look like that? Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> so can't change our geography. can't change our weather, but we can change our emissions. Now, if we have... If we have this... Uh, our emission base is less than a lot of metropolitan areas of our own size, but because of geography and weather, we have a unique air quality problem. And so there's a lot of times I start just about every speech I give with that. Or we also have a 90 second video on our website that I'll show and be like, look, before we have any conversation, you got it. We have to first define the problem. So we define the problem and then we help people identify their own individual solutions. That's pillar one. Pillar two is partnership. We like to say that everybody's the problem. So everybody has to be the solution. We don't believe in vilifying. We, we think you, you can catch more flies with honey. I guess is that the, the phrase catch more bears with honey i don't know um and so we will work with everyone we a partner is someone who is interested in finding solutions and so we have a, a monthly meeting where people come in and make presentations last month we had a, a, a legislative preview by the department of environmental quality the, this month we'll have a presentation from the solar association on on solar power and renewable energy we're just trying to have constant conversations to provide people with with more information. And then we have a partner roundtable. So if you're working in this space and you want to provide people with more information or, or it's just a, or, or just ideas, it's a good opportunity to network. And additionally, part of our, our partnership role is, is I'm not a lobbyist. We, we do not lobby the legislature, but we work with the legislature. We work with the governor's office to provide information and, and, um, and data so that they can, move the issue forward. And so that's part of our partnership is with them. And additionally, we are located still at the Department of Environmental Quality. We have a strong partnership with them. They fact-checked everything that I say. I I think that our DEQ is awesome in getting phenomenal. information out. They're incredible. They're, they're great. And so they fact-check everything I say. So when I go out and I give stats and data, I'm 80% of the time not making it up. Because um, <laughs> as I like to say, one of my favorite, my mom gets mad when I do this, but I say, look, why let facts get in the way of a good story? I mean, that's just the key to life, right? Uh, and, uh, but 
Yeah, don't write that down. Oh, yeah, write it down. It's fine. <laughs> um, but we want to make sure that people have the best information. And UCARE has a big microphone, so we might as well tell people the truth. Can you use that microphone to tell my neighbors to stop burning wood, please? Absolutely. In fact... If Can they, you actually just light their wood pile on fire? Just go knock on their no, door because be like, that's I'm burning wood. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things I like to talk about, too, it just gets me a little bit of trouble, is when we talk about idling, people idling <gasps> vehicles. I'm going to start carrying around cards because in the last two weeks at the gas station in the morning, people just leave their cars running. And, the, I, and I was anyway. so angry. It's, I even said something to the cashier, and she's like, they do it all the time. She's like, it makes me so mad. So <laughs> this, is the, this is the Jersey kid in me. Every time I see a car doing that, I want to just steal it. Yeah. Uh, she said that one had just been stolen in Garamond. <laughs> and so I, I've, I've talked to the governor. You can and I ask said, the uh, Unified Fire about leaving your fire truck running in yeah, the parking lot. That's a big problem, too. I want to just I, ask the governor for leniency or even like a free pass if I just steal idling vehicles. Like, just go park them somewhere else. Yeah, just like I'm down dri- the street or just drive around the corner and be like, look. Yep. Just get in and turn it off. Uh, yeah. You and, let's collectively. Let's just get in. Uh, we just get in any idling vehicle. You don't have to steal it. Just get in, turn it off, and throw the keys on the passenger side floor mat. Or just oh, take like the key. Why don't you, it's not stealing the car if you just steal the keys, right? That's, That's right. right. That's not right. stealing but the car. But if you throw them on the passenger side, they I either help like, the door walk and, like, around litter the car. bomb their car. So they're like, what litter the bomb. That's, yeah. So, I mean, that's part, right? It's all part and parcel. It's people, um, and we can talk about this. You know, our data shows that people want to be engaged, but they want to be engaged the way they want to be engaged, too. Right. So uh, kind of our last pillar, let me touch on this. We get back to that. Our last pillar is grants. Like we said, I'm not a scientist, but I love raising money. And uh, so what we do is we'll, if you have an idea that will help reduce emissions or shift behaviors or provide education, um, a lot of folks that are in that space, they're not good at raising money. And they're kind of more focused on their project. And so they can apply to the UCARE grants program. And based on how much money we raise and how good their project is, every project that applies to a UCARE grant has to be scored by the DEQ. And that provides us with a real scientific background. And then it's debated amongst our board, which is filled with physicians and economic development folks um, and um, uh, chemical engineers and a whole a whole group of folks that have different ideas about this. So once we get the scoring, then we debate it. And then based on how much money we raise, we, we give out these grants to help further technology and move them along. We give about a quarter million dollars in grants away every year. I'd like to give more. In fact, my plan is to give $350,000 next year. And that's all on me, how much money I can raise. <laughs> so that, those are our pillars. That's what we do. We do a lot of data. We, we talk to a lot of people because we want to talk to people and get them more engaged. And you can't, you can't move people unless you know people, and that's a that's a tough job. That's a very true statement. I was thinking about this as we were headed home today because traffic was horrible. There were like five million thousand people out there, and you know everybody they talk about mass transit. You should take it. You should take it. You should take it. You know where I live. I work downtown. In order to actually completely use mass transit to get downtown. It's just completely, totally impractical for me. I'm not going to stand out in the corner in the dark, especially, you know, like on a snowstorm day or something like that and wait for all that time. My oldest daughter, the first year she went out to Juan Diego, we made her take the the bus and we made her take tracks and stuff out there. And just the time that she spent doing that because of where we live, just it was awful. And, and there's a reason why there's so much congestion out here. The roadways suck, first of all. Like, there's not a good way to get out here. And 
and then you after you get out of downtown proper you lose that great mass transit because i i work downtown and i've taken it to saw palace and up to the u and different places and you can you can walk or you can get on that free mass transit how i mean it it costs money and money that people don't want to pay but how do we fix something like that that could really alleviate traffic out here and i was reading uh, you know getting rid of some of those cars a lot of bad emissions yeah so mobile sources are about 50 percent of all our emissions and so transit is a huge piece of this of this pie and you've hit on it it's money so we went out and we did a, a large-scale poll to find out what keeps people – I need to talk closer to my phone. <laughs> what, why, you can hold it and sit That's back. fine. Uh, why, what keeps people off of transit? And we asked a, a bunch of questions to try to get to the core of it. And when we kind of boiled down the numbers, got into the cross tabs, we realized about 95% of the reason why people don't take transit is exactly what you're saying. It's convenience. 5% cost. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like like she was saying, from here – if I went full mass transit, it's probably two hours, and that includes a couple of half-hour waits for buses mm-hmm. that come. And there's a bus stop right out here, but it's every half hour. Absolutely. And if you don't hit it right, you're waiting for half an hour. Mm. And then you have uh, – luckily, this will take you straight to the tracks line, yeah. and then you can take tracks. But that's a, it's an hour and a half to two hours to commute one way. On top of that, if it's just me – now, cost may be a small factor, but if it's just me, it's two fifty, five dollars mm-hmm. $5 round trip. I can stomach that. As soon as I add another person, now I'm at 10. Mm-hmm. If I have four people, like with my two girls, that's four people. That's $20 round trip in mass transit. I can drive downtown and park for cheaper Absolutely. and be there in 20 minutes. Oh. And and get there when I want to and leave, leave when, when I want, want to, to and have my car there if I, you know. But if you, if you live along the corridor where tracks runs or you're within a couple minutes of tracks to drive to a, a park and ride lot, Totally. I totally. So the thing is, that's not exactly what we see too. So I live in Daybreak, transit-oriented development, and my and there's trains right trains right there. My office is a half a block from a track stop. Takes me an hour and twenty five minutes on tracks. On tracks. That's not. That's not good (laughs) enough. All right, and I'm the air quality guy. Takes me twenty five minutes to ride. It to takes, drive. It takes, that's not good. I'm right by the library one, and I, you know, so I'd be able to get to work easily. But you're from the Northeast. You can ride a train from Jersey to New York or in a that ferry. period of time. Yeah, in yeah. that period of time. And that's a much greater distance than, you know, but it's because River Turner, whatever, whatever it is. you're yeah. on is making so many stops. It doesn't go fast enough. So one of the things yeah. that, that we've talked about this winter and into this legislative session is can we make front runner go faster? Can we make, can we make tracks more accessible? Can we find ways to make this better? And I think we can all agree that UTA has had a storied past. They are working and um, kind of it's been about a year and a half, almost two years, just about two years, where they've changed governance structure. They have new people with trains Can I tell you that's one of the best decisions? I'm not a big fan of our legislative body. That's one of the best decisions that they made. Yeah, it's really great. They're working really, really hard to move forward. So one of the things that we talked about at that um, that open house or the town hall that I did with Congressman McAdams was what can the federal government do? So. First, the state needs to spend some money. The governor's proposed $34 million of ongoing money towards mass transit. It's a lot of money. It's something the state should do. But also, a lot of the money that came towards Ford UTA, for front runner and tracks, was federal money. It was Senator Bennett brought it in to help pay for the Olympics, got us, made yep. us more viable for the Olympics. Something that our federal delegation can do is go after transportation money that can really make this 
more viable. We don't have east-west corridor routes no, here. No, it sucks. The reason why my ride takes so long is that I work at 20th West, I live at 40th West, and I have to go all the way downtown and come back in. Yeah. And so we got to find ways to just move people, and we have to get them off the road. The benefit is we have good partners. UDOT agrees with us. Mm-hmm. They, they're like, I, I don't want to build more roads. Uh, I want to repair the roads. I want to get people through the roads, can, but I don't want to build more. Can roads. I ask you this? Okay, so when when UDOT, so let's just talk about roads and UDOT in particular. So they're out there, Mountain View Corridor. Yep. Brand new highway. Um, and, and they put it out there, and they put fucking traffic lights at every damn major intersection. They did it with Bangator, and Bangator lasted a long time. Development took a while to catch up to Bangator. Mm-hmm. It's already there, Mountain It's already there, yep. And w- now with Bangator... They're changing all those intersections into overpasses. Mm-hmm. Now, those lights contribute a ton of idling time. They do. Why doesn't someone smack you dot upside the head and say, <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Build overpasses while you have the land. You're doing it right the first time instead of putting all the traffic lights up. It's a great idea. I will bring it up with them. I mean, that's just <laughs> I, No, it's, it's a great idea. I will absolutely crazy. bring it up. And they have been building, especially out in the daybreak area, they're intersection right after intersection after intersection. Yeah. And now if they have to do that, they're going to have to do what they're doing. So 62nd is the next big project. Yeah. They literally built a brand new <laughs> Dollar Tree. Uh-huh. A year before while they were down. doing the the surveys to put in the overpass, right? It was in business for like a year, and then they demolished it. Yeah, I mean that's you're exactly right. Like long term planning is a problem. Yeah. Um. There's a great organization called WFRC Wasatch Front Regional Council, and they have put together a, a transportation plan for for the valley through 2050. It's called Wasatch Choice 2050, and it has to do with transit active transportation, roads, how do we move people with having the least amount of damage to our ecosystem mm-hmm. and um, and most beneficial for our air quality? I mean, you take a look at a road like 54th, 54th and South, which is that those flex lanes have helped a ton mm-hmm. with their traffic flow. Absolutely. Uh, the, the Taylorsville and, and uh, I think West Valley and, and Kearns all kind of collaborated on. But you can put a track line right down the center of that damn street or off on the side and Traffic flow, not super affected, and you're going to get a ton of people. Yeah, we have to make those trans, those tracks go faster. Yeah. Those tracks trains go faster. They do not go fast enough to make it worth people's time. Yeah, they can't be, they, they can't be stopping at all the lights. Right. They, they have to have some, that's why the subway works so well is they don't have to stop for they stuff. just go. And it's, and it's, like you talked about, it's not cost prohibitive to drive, right? Yeah. You can find a place to park and it's affordable. You can, uh, for now, if, for now right? So, like, this is, bold and it's not just does not come from you care but why don't we say it's impossible to park in salt lake city if it becomes impossible to park in salt lake city we're going to find ways to make transit work for us because convenience is the number one thing right if convenience is number one you have to make it inconvenient to drive and it's like think about the city think about new york city my my parents are moving back to new york city at the uh, end of the summer and i'm very excited because my wife's never been and i'm like good we're gonna go we'll have a place to stay you don't have to spend a billion dollars but you don't rent a car when you go to New York City. Nope. You don't even have a car when you go to when you live nope. in New York City because it's way too expensive. Well, it's like DC. I yeah. had the opportunity to go there, and I hadn't ever been. And like we walked cars. and and biked everywhere. And I I look at the bikes. You know, everybody says the scooters because they're fun, but I look at the bikes at downtown Salt Lake, and I'm like, nobody's using these. No, you I, park in Hoboken and you take the path. That's right. So you're right. Like. um, the problem we have right now with our bike system in U- in Utah, in Salt Lake City, is they're tethered, right? It's all you have to ride to a station. And I, 
I'm bullish as I meet with them that they're going to move to a dockless system, but they, you never know. They need to go visit Seattle. Yeah. Those bikes are all over the place and they're fantastic. <laughs> we had we had a ton of fun. We walked around all around Seattle. But Seattle's another one. We walked everywhere. Walked everywhere. Right. We did. We literally But we were in downtown Seattle. Places where we You don't walk everywhere if you're in the suburb of no. Seattle. No. No. But so we're I'm a huge proponent of Lime scooters. I think they're they are a lot of fun. I did my time on a bike in a suit. I'm done. Like, you're not going to get me on a bike with a tie on anymore. I did it. But, but you'll take the lime scooter. But I'll get a lime scooter. And it looks really like I'm a, I'm a bigger gentleman in my forties. And it's, <laughs> but you I have a beard. You look way thin. But. That's right. That's how it makes, I just look like Santa Claus. That's what I could say. Um, I think it must be funny to see people when I'm like scooting on the street with a sports coat on in the middle of the workday. But you know what? It's, you know, it's affordable and it's fun. I don't see it anymore because I'm, I'm right there by the, by the library, the, library. The, by the library and by the, I was, what's the big damn white building with all the courts in it? The courthouse. The courthouse. The Matheson. The Ma- yeah. But I was trying to think of the specific name, but like there's a ton of people right yeah. with suits and, and stuff riding those around, but they're, they're kind of dangerous. I work in the insurance industry. They are. So, um, <laughs> where I have a helmet, uh, I have a helmet provided to me by Lime Scooters. And, uh, so yeah, I'm all for wearing helmets. Awesome. So, yeah. so I do have a question about electric vehicles. So sure. I know that you care from, promotes hybrids and electrics and there are you know there are some things that that suggest that just buying a new car because it's a hybrid or an electric and getting rid of your old car that's just as bad for the environment as a whole because of the footprint it takes to make a car but from an electric car in particular that's not running on traditional fuels do you know what the the difference is in terms of of environmental impact of a state that does a lot of coal burning still for powering an electric car versus using a combustion engine in it? That is a really good question. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take one step back. So we are very much focused on air quality. Air quality environment are the same, but different. Yeah. Right. Sure, sure. And so especially because we talked about this geography issue, right? So we spent a lot of time focused on air quality in the Wasatch Front. We also spent some time as it relates to, um, in the Uinta Basin and then ozone as it look, we look in Washington County and things like that. So when we talk about environmental footprints, not some you care spent a lot of time on. We, t- we are focused on, on the air quality element. But when we talk about electric vehicles and coal, it's a good question. So between 60 and 80% of our power comes from coal. And, but this is kind of, I say this a bit tongue in cheek, but a little bit serious. It's not burned in my air shed. So yes, there is an environmental impact, but I get those mobile emissions. So it's people call electric vehicles zero emission vehicles. It's not a zero emission vehicle. No, not at all. It's an offset emissions or it's a displaced emissions. So those emissions are, this sounds callous and I've not meant mean to sound callous, but those emissions are not here and they're not trapped in my lid. And so it's not an issue, a problem that I quote have to deal with. But the other answer to that, so that's a little bit tongue in cheek. The other answer to this is the state has no authority to regulate mobile sources, but it does have authority to regulate what we call point sources or a coal-fired power plant. So the way we look at this is it's easier for us as a state or the state regulatory agency, whether it's the DEQ or the DNR, to keep their eyes and their hands on the operations of a coal-fired power plant than on 100,000 combustion engines mm-hmm. where they can't legally. And so I'd rather move my my um, my emissions to a, 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 regula- a regulated source 
than an unregulated source. Additionally, Rocky Mountain Power, which is the primary power source for the state, put out a 20-year plan that has them retiring all of their power plants in the next 20 years and moving to solar, wind, water, and then solar storage. And so if you think about how long it will take for everyone to get to electric, and I don't believe everybody's going to go to electric, but it, it takes about 15 years for a full fleet turnover. Well, you have to you have to build the infrastructure, and that's been part of the issue. I work for Volkswagen, and they released an e-golf a few years ago, and we don't sell them here because we don't have the infrastructure. And now, because of the TDI emissions a few years ago, um, part of Volkswagen's plan is... <laughs> is they're required to create electric vehicles, um, I believe by 2021 or 2022. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they'll start the way that they, and we had to tell our customers this, the way that they will be selling them is coastal inwards because of they've that got infrastructure. All, they've got to build all the infrastructure. Right. So we got, uh, the state got, uh, I don't remember how much, somewhere between 50 and a hundred million dollars from yeah. Volkswagen um, to build infrastructure. Correct. Uh, additionally, the state put another $40 million in last year's budget for infrastructure. And then the governor asked for $66 million in this budget for infrastructure. And we're a firm believer as Volkswagen uh, has stated that if we have the infrastructure, then people will buy the vehicle. And they, and they will. And they will. Yeah. So, and w- the way we illustrate it is, uh, we point to telephones, right? So if you were thinking about you or thinking about your teenage kids, how do people respond when your phone's at 50%? And then think about how they responded when their phone's at 20% and they lose their friggin' minds. Now, if it's your vehicle, you actually have a right to lose your friggin' mind. And because you can fill up your call, car with petroleum anywhere, um, people are like, well, I can't make the change because unless I know exactly where I can fill up with electricity, I I just I need that. Well, piece and of how long and how long does it take? How long? Because that technology absolutely. is still not as good as yeah. it could be. Is it like your cell phone where it spends most of the day on a charge? Well, and right. it's different when you're charging at your home versus at a charging station. Right. So what the governor has asked for is for the majority of the money to be on these level three chargers. Yeah. And which is still it's fifteen to twenty minutes. It's a lot. It's but it's not five minutes. It's not five minutes like it is filling up your gas tank. And we know kind of. Technology is so fast on these batteries. Um, Volkswagen is kind of leading the way as it relates to battery technology that probably in the next year, year and a half, and this is just conjecture, it'll get faster and faster and faster if you well, look I mean, at the trajectory what, of all of it. That's why Elon Musk basically just gave away his electric car designs because he's focused money, on the battery. Yeah, the money is in the battery and the charging station. Absolutely. So put the charging stations at Walmart because people spend an hour. Well, they're at there. Walgreens right now. So <laughs> the, the biggest, the best partner we have on charging stations right now, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's Maverick. Mm-hmm. And, um, if that you think about, me. like, their business model is not selling petroleum. It's, no, they, that's any gas station. Yeah, but think about how, like, yeah. where, how much they are building an infrastructure as far as their actual buildings yeah. for them to put those in with it. It's like well, a win-win and, win for them. And their biggest margins, as you said, it's in food. It's, it's actually in food, soda, right? So if you for 20 minutes yeah. recharging your car, it's those sausage you're going to go in. <laughs> you're going to spend real money. Well, and if you look at the, the <laughs> Mavericks that are going up now, all the newer ones, they, they're they essentially Wawa's. Like if you've yeah. ever been back east. Great point. You, you go in, they have a cafeteria style. They're making stuff fresh to yep. eat. It's not just gas station food. It is a big, yeah, the, the best bathrooms anywhere. Really right. nice bathrooms. Yeah. A lot of them have areas for you to sit and eat your food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's not a stretch then to go in Texas. When I was in Texas this last year, the gas stations are like supermarkets. Yeah. They're like almost an, because ev- they're not, they're not yeah. making money on gas. Yeah. No, it's a gas is a very small margin. It's all in soda, beer and, um, and these 
hot dogs, food and candy, sausage and stuff, bundles. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's that sausage mm, breakfast thing. Delicious. And if you're there for 20 minutes, you're absolutely spending money. On it. And they view that, and they think that's smart. That's a smart way to go. And their slogan is "Adventure's first stop." And so, if whether you're going to drive a petroleum vehicle or an electric vehicle, start your adventure here at Maverick. Buy a bunch of food and go. And it's it, it's a you know, if you don't adapt your business, then you're going to die. And they're and they're being really adaptive in this kind of stuff. But we also are, are really bullish on electric technology. When Ford gets into the business, because Ford's not a car company, right? They're a manufacturing company, right? They don't make three cars. They make the assembly line. Mm-hmm. And so when they're like, look, we're going to do an F-150, the most popular vehicle there is in the world, the F-150, and a Mustang. By the end of this year, forget about it. GMC just announced during the Super Bowl they're going to make a Hummer. An electric yeah. Hummer? What? Who needs that? Okay, but it's a popular vehicle. They can sell for a hundred well, grand. When, like when they started everyone. selling the Chevy Volt, they couldn't. They couldn't sell. They couldn't sell them fast enough because they didn't make enough. They didn't make enough, and so we're really and they're ugly. Like, like we're, we're really bullish that that as we continue to build out infrastructure in this state, more and more people will move towards it. Okay, cool. here I'm gonna throw another question at you. Sure. So. And I will decide if I will answer it or deflect. So our road, <laughs> our road funds come from gas tax. And so they've been talking about vehicle miles challenge. Right. Yeah. And people who are driving electric cars are all up in arms. So here's how I feel as a person who, who still drives a, a gas powered vehicle. Um, if you're using it, you should have to pay for maintenance mm-hmm. on it. Ask the people back east how they feel about paying for roads. So tolls, tolls, tolls. tolls. <laughs> and 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 if that's what it takes to make it even, I I really don't care. But at, we're encouraging this. We want it. We want everybody to go to electric. But the more that we do that, then again we get less. And our roads here are shitty anyway. I mean, they just, they get trashed during the winter from salt and, and snow shovels and just, and idiocy and whatever else it may be. And we're always under construction. We're always trying to do stuff. So now that budget gets smaller and smaller as we try and fix our air. And now we've got all these great efficient cars that are hitting potholes and ending up at the mechanic shop all the time. And people are going, well, why? Well, you know, now our main base for what we're doing so i i hear i know the question so thank you because i couldn't put it in yeah words. i get you so gas tax is a problem gas tax is antiquated and it's also regressive and um but right it's how we've been funding rows in the states since kind of, kind of like a food tax i'm just throwing that out there <laughs> well i'm not saying, uh, unbelievably regressive i, I really say. don't want to say it's good or bad or anything but it is what's funding it it is what's funding it and so when it changes something else now has so to we are it. in we run into a, a real big issue when we want to encourage people to stop paying into the roads fund because we do we want people to stop paying into the roads fund but we need people to pay into the roads fund so how do we do that so what we currently have is increased registration fees for hybrids and electric vehicles. It's also a little bit pen- – uh, people feel like it's being penalized for doing what's right. And they are. But to your point, we have to pay for the roads. And how do we do that? If I'm not collecting any gas tax from an electric vehicle, i got to find a way to get your money. And if you're paying – I'm paying less money. Most people now – like. Even if I'm not driving a hybrid, I'm driving a fuel-efficient vehicle. And because our gas tax math is bad, we're just always going to collect less money than we need. So we need to revisit our gas tax. I'm not I'm not advocating for a higher gas tax. I want everybody to know that. I'm just saying we've got to find a better way to fund our roads. So there's this vehicle miles traveled 
um, proposal out there. It's a, currently a pilot where you can let the government into your car. Good luck. Um, <laughs> and it's, a, and they will say, okay, you, you drove X amount of miles during 2020. And so you owe us this amount of dollars. It's not, you know, that's not that hard to do because you already have to let the government in your car to do in a place like Salt Lake anyway, emissions test. Emissions test. Absolutely. The, the one piece that I keep hearing from people is, um, how do you know what miles I drove in Utah? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If your car is a Utah registered car, <laughs> so the majority of your miles are driven in the state of Utah. It is. And, and, and if you choose to register your car in Utah and the majority of your miles are driven in, say, Wyoming, that's your own damn fault. Well, and the other piece, though, is we want to capture the real money is in the gas tax on diesel. Like, how do we the get, industry, the, how do we get the money off from those vehicles? Because they're the ones that are really tearing up our roads. Um, they're the heavy duty vehicles that are driving on roads they shouldn't be driven on. And vehicles that douchebags turn into carbon nightmares. Yeah, absolutely. Those. I mean, diesel brothers. Sorry, I uh, said douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to make sure we're capturing their, if we, if we move strictly to a vehicle miles travel, we're not going to gather all of that data too. So we've got to find a way, um, to Capture all of that money, so we're we're providing the proper amount of funding for our. Well, roads. and you can do miles traveled for truckers because they have to have yeah. mileage logs. That stuff's much more well, regulated. The thing yeah. is, is it, there's it's not just interstate. Like you're you have people who are based here. Oh yeah, sure. But most of their miles are spent driving through Nevada to California and then driving back from California through Nevada back to here. But you can still hit them at the ports, right? I and so. That does. I mean, it's it's along the same lines it's as them re- wanting to yeah. change the taxes for service. Right. That's where we need to be. We need to tax services, but how do we find the best way to do it so that we don't put people like Jeremy, who's an architect, you know, in his own business, out of business by right. taxing him? But we we get that revenue back when we're a service based society. Now we're no longer, like you said, that's an antiquated tax. We're we're antiquated in our tax code, absolutely, and. Across the board. And if in order for us to get to where we need to be, we've got to take tax reform very, very seriously. And we can't just rush it or we can't do it right before Christmas. And we can't just <laughs> put together. What are you t- I don't know. I'm just saying. Do that. I um, have no idea what you're talking or we can't, about. We can't just throw new taxes on people that have no voice. I mean, we have to find a way to do tax reform in a way that captures the appropriate amount of revenue um, so that we can provide services for but the gee, that would states. sure encourage people to take mass transit too, because then you don't have any reported miles. So That's I, true. I want to. I know we're, we're going kind of long, and I'm I'm fine with that as as long as you're fine with I'm that, okay. Tom. Yeah. Um, I want. He lives just down the street from us. I want right. to move away from cars. I know cars are are like we like you were saying. It's it's half of our problem in Salt Lake Valley, right? And I know that the industry, the factories, the gas refineries are another big chunk of it. Um, but there are several other things from a, an individual standpoint that you guys are huge proponents of at UCARE, and I, I don't want to short-sight those because they can have a big impact as well. Uh, and so, you know, some of the stuff like um, shopping green, um, being aware of the thing. Looking at your equipment, we just had snowmageddon happen mm-hmm. yesterday, <laughs> and a lot of people busted out their shitty snowblowers. Yeah. And those contribute to a lot of combustion emissions inside the, the atmosphere here in the valley. So, inside your can, is that what you called it? Uh, the lid. The lid. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yes. Inside the lid. So here's an interesting fact, um, and I love this statistic. Snowblowers provide about 3% of 
emissions during the winter time here in the valley. Three percent. Wow. That's a lot. The five refineries combined, three percent of the emissions. Woohoo. So um it's kind of bizarre that when you combine all the emissions from the snowblowers, it's the exact same amount as we the We shovel refinery. here. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I just let the wind blow it that's, away. that's what I do. I'm like, oh. Uh, you, you live in a weather vortex where you don't get any snow. Also, you don't really contribute to our inversion down there. And my, my kids shovel. That's true. Yeah, that's the way to do it. That's why I love living there. <laughs> so we, um, so a couple things. Additionally, one snowblower has the equivalent of a of a car footprint of driving from Los Angeles to Miami for oh. for like for the season. Jeez. Oh. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You have a catalytic converter on your automobile. Not um, one on the snowblower. Not one. It's a it's a two cycle engine. And also, when do we use our snowblowers? When that storm when that storm came out of uh, out of here last night into this morning, um, it was when our air was the absolute cleanest. Yep. Right. It takes a storm to wash out the gunk. So what do people do? Pull out the snowblower. Pull out the Pull snowblower. Pull out the snowblowers, throw logs Ten in the fireplace. Ten minutes later, we're all back in the same boat. Right. And that lid comes, sits on top of us, and pollution doubles every day. And we're, so we advocate for people using shovels or electric. And people say, well, the snow we get here is heavy and we can't do it. Actually, technology has caught up. We did a snowblower exchange uh, last winter, um, where we got enough money for 450 snowblowers. So the, the money, the word here in Utah that I've learned is free or discount. Like people will sign up for anything. Complimentary. Like, um, so we said, look, these are $400, uh, $400 electric snowblowers. If you give me your gas s- snowblower, I will, I will give you one for 70 bucks. You guys did that with lawnmowers too, didn't we, you? We've done it with lawnmowers a couple of times. It's really great. Um, with the 450, the first time we did snowblowers, we had 450, we had 12,000 people sign up. <laughs> um, and it's really great, but it really reduces those emissions, right? It really gets down and it's not a lot, but it is aggregated together and it's, it's during that well, time you're needed. 450 less. Well, yeah. that's right. And even like, like lawnmowers and snowblowers, I mean, you guys even suggest, you know, even upgrading, if you're going to use a combustion engine, upgrade to a four stroke engine. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's way cleaner. So just find ways. We talk a lot about the uh, economics principle, the aggregation of marginal gains, right? There isn't a lot of low-hanging fruit outside of wood burning, right? We don't want people to burn wood. Uh, and Steve, fucking stop burning I actually, wood. I was on I can't the link that Jess put out there where it talks about the wood burning, and I printed it out at work, and I was going to put it in a baggie and stick it to their dang door that says stop burning. Not only do they burn wood, but they burn dirty, like trash wood. So oh. it's doesn't it doesn't we don't even have the added benefit of oh smell the lovely fire. But also talk about because there are fireplaces that <laughs> yeah, so burn e- efficiently. That's right. So the EPA certified because uh, my parents just installed one yeah, in their the, home. The EPA certified wood stoves, which are seventy um, percent more efficient, and those are great. But you have to. You have to do the maintenance. Right. And if right. you don't do the maintenance, <laughs> then they become garbage. But with the maintenance, they're fantastic. And the, but also we talk again about convenience. Um, and a, a gas powered fireplace is unbelievably convenient. So we talked, I was a child in New Hampshire, get home from church. My mom would say, go out and chop wood. We need wood for the fireplace. We didn't. I was just obnoxious and my mom didn't <laughs> want me in the house. But I think about that, like, how hard was it to get that fire going? It took a lot of time. And then, really, the problem was, once the fire was out, waiting for the fire to be out, someone had to be up, close the flue, make it sure it was clean, make sure we didn't burn down the house. Gas-powered fireplaces, man. Just, just click them off. Turn them on, turn it off. Plenty of heat. Um, and 
so we have encouraged people. We've provided funding. We've done exchanges. We, the state just, um, the, we did our own small one, which was a pilot program to get federal money to do another program. And then we got state money to do another program to help people move out. And let me programs. be clear, That's guys. Cool. You don't need a fucking fireplace if you have a furnace and central air. <laughs> it's just for ambiance anyway. So we but, do the data. Uh, the people only burn wood on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and uh, every day, even red. Unless, yeah, yeah, unless you're so, there, there are a handful. Of people. By the way, as part of you care, can you send someone by on like red burn days to check and see <laughs> if like they've got ordinances. shit coming out of their city? So you care doesn't do that, but the county, mm-hmm. do, the county will. Yeah, I'm just saying. There's, I can give you that <laughs> the, the address. <laughs> that one right next door to me. Yeah, constantly. You, I just really quick. You mentioned the the three percent for the refineries because when these conversations come out every year about air quality, people are very quick to. Um, talk about the refineries and what big polluters they are. What is the biggest misnomer that people come to you with that you would want to clear up when it comes to so that's, air quality? That's the first one, right? It's that it's the point sources are the biggest problem. So when you combine all the point sources together, it's about between 12 and 17%. So yes, they're big and they're easy to look, look at. The Marathon Refinery has a constant plume. And so I get, I'll go up to Weber State and people will tell me, what are we going to do about that? I'm like, it's steam. It's steam, exactly. And, right. Yeah. So what do, what do you want from me? It fact, looks worse than it is. It looks bad. And it's steam right. that they put in to help keep, um, everything, keep clean. everything clean, right? Yep. It's to, it's a best available control technology that mitigates it's the problem. It's EPA regulated right. as well. And, and the ability for the state and federal government to regulate is phenomenal. I think the, the next common misnomer is that, um, you can't be part of the solution. That doesn't matter what I do. That's that's just baloney, right? It does matter what you do. It does matter if you idle your vehicle. It does matter if you're burning wood. It does matter if you care about um, what our air quality is. Your small contribution, when combined with everybody else's, will be part of the solution. We have not had a red air day in two and a half years. In fact, for 15 years, our state was designated... In serious non-attainment. That meant the federal government was hounding us to just clean up our act. And, the, and our state was working very, very hard. If we did not pass a seri- uh, state implementation plan by by this winter. Yeah, we were really close. We were in a lot of trouble. They could come and take all our road funding. They could implement strict stricter regulations on, on everything we did. But because we've had three years of clean data... We've moved out of serious non-attainment and into what is called maintenance, which is a huge change for us. I think the other piece is the other piece of misnomer is that um, people think that it's getting worse. And what I've talked about is we've moved into maintenance. Uh, maintenance. Additionally, in the last uh, in the last fifteen years, we've had. Uh, a population increase of 32%, mm-hmm. and we've had an emissions decrease of 35%. Now, um, so emissions is just a small piece of the pie of this, right? It's, it's the third prong when it comes to air quality, but that's an enormous, a 54% net, uh, or sorry, per capita decrease in our emissions. We are doing well. We are making huge strides. We are we are winning the battle, but we cannot control weather and we cannot control geography. So we could go, we could go two weeks without another storm and we're screwed. Yeah. Especially this time of year. Right. Cause it's cold. 
So we've got a cold ground. We've got a warm atmosphere. We've got... Uh, nothing's moving. Nothing's moving. It could be bad for us. Weather's been our best friend in this. And what we've done by reducing our emissions is we're saying that instead of on day three, it gets into that unhealthy air, the red air. Now it's day five. We've got five days to get a storm in here. And that's beneficial. We've done a great job. Some people need to to take a bow and say, great, but it doesn't mean we ever have to give up. We have to be constantly vigilant and, and work on this. And we have to continue to take dick bags like the Diesel Brothers. So, that's true. I, I was one of those people that used to warm up my car in the morning because I'm cold all the time. I don't know if you know this, but I'm sitting on an electric blanket covered with a blanket right now. And awesome. I finally went, all right, even though my car takes all the way to the freeway on Redwood Road to even be close to warm... I am not going to warm up my car anymore. And that was hard for me. It was a hard change. And some like mornings like this morning when it was just freezing cold, I'm like, all right, just don't warm up your car. Just get in it and just drive away. And it, it is hard to make those changes, but I'm like right now, that's the only one I I can't do the mass transit thing. That's the only one I can do right now. So I guess that's the one I'll do. So do you have relationships with people like uh, SLC air protectors, other people like that that are trying to help? You are giving me a very sinister smile over there. We do. So, okay. um, you know, everybody has a role to play and it relates to air quality. Some people are a little more activists. Some people, um, you know, are more in the lobbying, work, uh, lobbying side of this. Some people, like I said, are more activists. We tend to be kind of that. I know it's a dirty word. We tend to be the more moderate group that are just You're educating. interested in educating people and helping them find their individual uh, individual responsibilities. So some groups are kind of uh, what I like to say is I have I have friends to the left of me and I have friends to the right of me. And my job is to kind of be that group. In the middle. I, I would say, you know, based on, you know, everything that you guys do and, and getting grants, you are the you are the action part. So there's there's activism, which is is all about awareness and making big movements. But you guys are are actually creating change. You're actually helping fund the change or you're educating people to make changes in their lives. That's much different than, than being the outspoken activist that is drawing attention. Well, you know, when I worked for the Catholic church, there was this great nun. Her name was sister Jane. And, uh, she used to pull me aside. We'd have these big meetings on, on reimbursement rates and funding. And so there'd be the archbishop, there'd be, uh, three priests, four nuns and me. And I know that sounds like the start of a dirty joke. I get it. <laughs> But these meetings would break up and Sister Jane, she's about five feet tall. She'd pull me aside. She'd come here, Tom. And she'd grab me by the lapel of my jacket and she'd pull me down to eye level. And she'd say, now remember, Tom, no money, no mission. Now go find us the money. <laughs> and again, I am not Catholic and I did not go to Catholic school, but your kids went to Catholic school. And um, I, I, it's been a long time since those conversations, but I remember them. And so part of what we try and do is remember that it doesn't matter how important your message is. If you don't, if you can't fund it, you don't have a message. Yeah. And so we go out there and we try and fund, we fund our own message. We try and through our grants program, help other organizations. If you funding. can't help give away snowblowers for 70 bucks instead of 400. Yeah. We're out there just trying to get people to move it along. One of the interesting things is, and I know we're, we're bumping up against time and I appreciate how much time you guys have given me to talk about this is people identify themselves in three different ways in air quality and really in all behavioral change. My predecessor, Ted Wilson, used to call them saints, sinners, and savables. In our last survey, it was it kind of broke down this way. 25% of people said, I will do whatever I can for air quality. It doesn't matter the time. 
energy, commitment, money, I'm all in, 25%. And so those are our saints. I believe that number's heavy. I don't think it's really 25% based on what I (laughs) see. Another 25% of people define themselves this way. I don't care. I don't think there's a problem. I haven't gotten around to that. Those are our sinners. I think that number is light. I think it's more than 25%. But really, it's about 50% of people in the middle. Those are our savables. I will do what I can for air quality um, if it is convenient or cost-effective. So cheap and EV. So our job from UCARE, I don't talk to my saints. Like SLC air protectors, they're convinced. They're all in. I will help them on different things, but I don't I don't need to convince them. Right. Sinners, I'm not going to waste time with you. They're your neighbor. They're like, <laughs> I'm going to burn wood, forget you, yep. right? But those people in the middle, if I can lower a barrier for them, make it a little bit cheap, cheaper, a little bit easier for them, then they will move their way into that saints category. And then I can focus on that next group of savables. And that's kind of the role that you care tries to play is how can we lower the barrier to entry and get you moving? Okay. We got one more question for you. Sure. And I know you've listened to the show, so you probably have heard the question. Um, We've changed a little this year, but uh, if you were going to leave the state, um, what's one thing uh, in Utah that you couldn't bear to part with? Because you've been quite a few places. Yeah, and I've, I've been in Utah. And I've left Utah a couple times. Um, so what is it that I couldn't bear to part with? Oh, should I say fry sauce? <laughs> I mean, you can. It's the inversion. Right? It's the inversion. I couldn't bear to part with fry- <laughs> the inversion. Um, that's tough. I really love it here. Um, uh I think the one thing I would miss the most is the passive aggression. <laughs> I couldn't part with that. People just tell me what I want to hear to my face and then just stab me in the back. The benefit of coming up in New Jersey politics is that people just stab you in the front. Um, so it's just totally different. Yeah. I just really struggled when I got here. I'm like, everybody loves me. No, no one likes you, Tom. Um, but they tell me that they love me. Yep. Um, tre- that trust wall just... I know. Like, this is tough. You're not quite the right kind of Mormon. Uh, yeah. Well, it's because I, I read the books. What do you want from me? Um, no. So the... Uh, Huh. Um, it's probably the people. It's a, I make, I make a lie to the passive aggressive, but it's a, it is a unique place. My father used to tell me, um, this was kind of a Jerseyism, uh, uh, that if you want to make sure nothing gets done, form a committee. And so we used to do that all the time. Like, okay, we've got this issue that we want to stall. Let's form a committee. And so then you have all these different egos, people getting, getting in their way. And then it's like, great. It's stalled. It's dead. Forget about it. People in Utah actually work really well together. We, we form committees and we move things forward. I can, I can put together a, I can put together a partnership and say, okay, five people come up with a solution and they come up with a solution. It's unique. It does not happen other places. And as we've talked about my resume, I've worked everywhere mm-hmm. and we used to form committees to kill things. And here, I, if I form a committee, it Get happens. Done. And I'm like, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> and, um, so I think it's, it's the people and the mindset and just kind of that. And it's corny, but the beehive mentality of, let, of let's just work. Well, Tom, thanks for, for joining us tonight. Uh, I know it was a bit extended, but uh, it's been a, a very good conversation. Maybe we'll have you back another time to talk. Love to doing this. It's great. It's a lot of fun. First of all, where can people get a hold of you or if they want to help or if they want to be part of it? Absolutely. Just come to our website. It's ucare.org, and that's spelled U-C-A-I-R. So Utah Clean Air, ucare.org. So come t- take a look and uh, reach out to us there. Thank you. Thanks. Well, thanks again to Tom. Uh, that was uh, we're gonna have to have him back in the summer to talk about some of their summer programs. I think he didn't even really get through all of his stories. We had to like keep, keep cutting him off. Yeah, different things, but they're yeah. so interesting. He's done. That's I. It's just when I first looked at his uh, kind of his track record and like his experience, I'm like, 
how do you go from like doing some local government to baseball <laughs> to hospital work to more government work professional to baseball like, in Australia like and to like football like this is a weird career path like he's bouncing from completely different worlds in a lot of sense like a hospital association to government I get because that's what hospital associations do right they they lobby essentially for hospitals uh, but the baseball and the football are so out in left field and then to jump into this you know but having him talk about all of it and, and his involvement and in, in mostly in charitable organizations and in fundraising organizations makes a lot of sense how he is at uh, UCARE now. And I think they're they're very lucky to have him. So uh, thanks again to him. Uh, if you like what you heard today, uh, please share it. If you didn't like it, um, then write us a review and share it. Um, <laughs> and if you loved it, write us a review. Uh, we like reviews. Um, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, Facebook is the new Utah podcast. We're at TNU podcast on Twitter and Instagrams. Um, and, uh, thanks again. I, I just want to say it. I, we're not really taking donations necessarily anymore. Let me correct that. We're always taking donations, <laughs> Yes. but, uh, you guys helped us quite a bit. We were able to do quite a few upgrades. Uh, we have more that we want to do maybe a little bit later this year, but, uh, uh, for now they've hopefully you've enjoyed some of the sound quality improvements over the last couple of episodes. So thanks to all those that donated. It's, it's very much appreciated. We don't, we don't get paid for this. We do it because we enjoy it. So, uh, and, uh, that's it. I think, I don't know. That's it till next week, kids. Bye.